0: Now then, I would like to ask you a question since we're beginning to get a few people in here. Is there anybody here today that has received a miracle or a healing from the Lord, either in our ministry or some other ministry, that you would like to come tell us what God has done for you? Has somebody uh, got one? Yeah. Let's, well, Dave, what do we do with our other mic? I don't have a mic. Oh, it's up here. Oh, no, 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 you can't. You can't. You can, They might hear you, but the tape can't hear you. Yeah. Hold it up close.
1: I was at Prestonwood, Prestonwood, not Prestonwood,
0: Hillcrest
1: Baptist Church, right? And God said he healed my kidney and shoulder. And I've been proclaiming it and my shoulder, I fell off an F4 over in Yuban, Thailand in a monsoon. The monsoons rain real heavy and then there's a wall of water. And when the water water hit, knocked everything off that plane. Well, I hit on my shoulder, and this has been aching because it cracked the bone, and on both sides, the cartilage folded over. The doctor said, replace it over there at the VA hospital. I said, no, I'll trust God. And then when God said it last year, (laughs) that did it
0: amen praise the lord jesus is the healer he's a wonderful healer anybody else got a testimony you'd like to come up here come on up here and tell us what jesus done for you praise the lord we want to give god the glory this is his business it's not mine this is the king of the universe hey brother how you doing sir i'm great tell us what your name is and where you're from uh
2: my name is mike weber i'm from Rockwall.
0: okay praise and
2: him. uh it didn't happen to me but it happened to my nephew my uh, nephew was born with a brain defect in the back of his head where his brain actually sat on his spinal cord. And as he would uh, get older and grow, he's seven years old, the spinal cord would grow into his brain. And uh, um, Anyway, my sister brought um, my nephew over. We laid hands and prayed in the name of Jesus Christ that he was healed. He, um, he's been having severe headaches for a long time. Uh, they did a, a, a CAT scan on him, and he's supposed to go back every six months because it was so damaged that if his head would get hit or anything, he'd be paralyzed. And so every six months they were doing these CAT scans to make sure if they needed to go in and operate. And, uh, and I've been telling my sister, I said, bring him over, let me pray for him, let me pray for him. And uh, she turned her life over to Christ, asked forgiveness of her sins. I said, come, I, I guarantee you Christ will heal him if you bring him to us. And she brought him to us, and we anointed him with oil and prayed over him. And well, the, the anointing and the virtue of Jesus just came through. I mean, it was hot; his head was hot, in the back of his head was hot. I said, Shannon, I said, he is healed. And tomorrow, when you do this CAT scan, Satan's going to come and tell you that he's not healed. You're going to have some type of trouble. I'm telling you, that's what the Lord's telling me. But you rebuke that and you praise him. When you have a spirit of sadness, you put the garment of praise on you, praise him. They took him in to do the scans, and it usually takes about 15 minutes. Well, they were still doing it an hour and 30 minutes later. And the doctor goes, he is moving, and uh, my sister says, he's not moving, he's still, he's not. He goes, no, his spinal cord is moving. And she calls me, she goes, his spinal cord is moving. I said, that's because Jesus is healing it and straightening it up. Amen. And I go, you proclaim that, he's healing. You're seeing the physical evidence that he's being healed right now. Amen. Well, they, he goes, I'm going to send this, uh, these films to the doctor and see if he can even read them. So they send the films to the doctor, and this neurosurgeon sees hundreds of people because he's a specialist. And he puts the films up, and he goes, why did you get a CAT scan done? And my sister goes, because you told us to, because you need to operate. He goes, operate? And then he took the other te- the other. he goes, he goes, oh my God! He couldn't believe it. He said, "It's minor." She goes, "Well, you told us he couldn't play football, or get hit." He goes, "No." He goes, "He goes, uh, he he's fine." And he goes, and my sister goes, "Because well, we've been praying and Jesus healed him." He goes, "Well, whatever you're doing, you keep it up. I don't need to see him for another two years." So he healed him.
0: Praise the Amen. Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You don't want to tell nobody? But, what, what do you mean? You got healed of breast cancer and you don't want to tell nobody. Get up here and tell God he, you how much you love Him for what He did for you, I young must, lady.
3: Um, I had breast cancer 10 years ago and God healed me. I had stage 2.
0: Amen. Crazy, Him a minute. Just tell Him, thank you, Lord. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing me, God. Amen. Praise the Lord. We need to give God glory and praise when He does these wonderful things for us. He's such a mighty God. And we love him. Is there anybody else got a testimony you want to give? If, you, if anybody else has one. Sharon, come up here. Okay. Come up here, girl. you got some good ones. I mean, my goodness gracious. These people need to know what God did for you, girl. Oh, gosh.
3: When I first came here to meet Thurman, actually some friends of mine had to drive me over because I had an aneurysm and I had brain surgery and I had absolutely no stamina. So they drove me over here. And I asked Thurman to pray that I could have stamina. And he just looked at me and he goes, Lord, give her stamina. And I said, okay. <laughs> that was it. I mean, no bells or whistles. I was amazing. But, but, all week I had stamina. And that Saturday was the healing school. I came back to the healing school, sat here all day. I'd been going home and going to bed at 3 and sleeping till 6, get it up, eat, go back to bed. That was it. And so I sat in the healing school all day. I came back to church the next morning and they prayed for my back. And after 30 years of pain, 23 years of going to the chiropractor almost every other day, I was miraculously healed. Just like, bam. I was like, wow. So I I was so excited. And then I had them start praying for my allergies. Now that took about six months. Now, here I'm used to miracles, you know. <laughs> I'm just like going, come on. But every time I came in here, I'd have Thurman pray for me. Well, everybody, just pray. And then I don't have allergies anymore. Nothing. I decided Flonase for $900 a year was way too much to spend. No, I I give my coupons to my chiropractor. He uses them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you had something wrong with your arm or your hip or something.
3: Oh, my gosh. My hip was always getting, my lumbar would never stay in. And my arm, from being a manicurist, would fall out of the socket. The doctor would have to pull it back into place like every week. It would just come out of the socket. Anything I did, my neck would go out. I had migraine headaches. You name it. I pretty
0: much had. <laughs> so now you don't have nothing?
3: Nothing. No.
0: Is Jesus wonderful? Jesus is wonderful. You can praise him, can't you?
3: I can praise him. Whenever, I have uh, divine help.
0: When these people out here say, we need to have a meeting to find out if God is still alive, all they need to do is ask Sharon.
3: That's right. She
0: can tell That's you right. that God is very much alive. Praise the King. No doubt. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I, I get I get tickled. You want to give a testimony? Well, come up here, young lady. Praise the Lord. I mean, Jesus, if Jesus has done something for you, let's tell everybody what Jesus did for you. He's the king. He's bigger than that.
3: Amen. He's bigger than that. He's, he's the one that our kids had
1: pinworms. And you know what pinworms are? You wash your sheets every day for two weeks, right? And the washing machine breaks and you got a company coming. What do you do? You lay hands on your washing machine. And you pray, and guess what? Two years later, we replaced
0: the washing machine. Amen. Talk about
1: blessing. That was one.
0: Amen. Amen. He can do anything, can't he? I'm telling you. Yes, praise the Lord. I can remember. You you want to give one? Come up here. Praise the Lord. I mean, Phil, he's had some awesome testimonies. He's got so many. Uh, Wow.
1: All right, if if any of y'all have listened to Thurman's teaching, you've heard about me. Heard about me. I used to have warts all over my hands, and he prayed over me when I was like 11 years old. And they went away in just a few weeks. But um, also, since I've started working for him, I've learned a lot. And uh, me and my wife used to smoke cigarettes, and we figured out that that's, you know, that's a demon of addiction. And it was just impossible. We tried patches. We tried everything, you know, and uh well we, we sat down and we prayed according to Matthew eighteen nineteen um that you know Jesus would take it just take it away. And then we rebuked the enemy. We told him to get out and <laughs> from that point on I've not even wanted a cigarette at all whatsoever. Praise My wife too were completely you know Praise delivered from that. And uh also I had a friend for years that uh, we did bad stuff, really bad stuff. And uh, I don't know, I can't even begin to describe the kind of, you know, we were just totally rebellious. And uh, he went to jail, but before he went to jail, uh, um, we, t- we went and witnessed to him. And it's hard for me, I'm, I'm having a hard time standing up here but uh it's hard for me to talk to people about Jesus for some reason, but luckily that's that's you know that's going away I'm getting the word in me, but anyway, um we went and talked to him at chili's and uh then like a week later, you went to jail and the whole time I was praying over him, going to third heaven and and just rebuking the enemy over him, and you know asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit, convict him of his sins, and bring him into the kingdom and <laughs> He sends me letters all the time about, man, I was reading this in the Word last night, and man, Psalms 103, da 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 da, so awesome, and da, da da, oh man, he goes to church in there, and oh man, he's just excited for Jesus now, and you have no idea how awesome that is, man. It's just great, but man, if you get in that Word and you learn it, it's so awesome. It is so awesome. Jesus will do anything you want Him to do, but you have to do what He says. You have to not sin, and you have to get in there every day and be diligent about it. And, man, you can see some awesome, awesome stuff every day of your life. It's just amazing. But anyway, praise praise the Lord. Lord.
0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's a young boy that's excited about Jesus, but he should be excited. Of course, like you say, he says, if you have listened to me and listened to the teachings that I've done over the years, I've told Phil's story many times because... Uh, Phil is the one that, when he was 11, when his mom and dad asked me to come over to their home, uh, he had his body was covered with warts. I mean, he had hundreds of them on him. He had warts in his eyebrows. He had warts when, across his eyes when he closed his eyes. He had warts all over his face, the big as the end of your finger up in his nose and all around his mouth and all under his neck and uh, he, all over both hands. Everywhere that you could see huge warts. And they'd burned a bunch of them off the back of one of his hands, and it left two huge scars where they burned them off. And the warts came right back in the scars. And he hated himself, of course, because all the kids at school, you know, there's that wart kid, you know. You know how people are, right? Are we just a little bit cruel? Sure we are. We're just a little bit cruel, you know, because most of us are in the world. You know, even Christians are cruel. Christian children do the same thing, but we should not. God told us not to do those things, but... He hated himself, you know, he just hated, you know, the way people treated him and the way he looked. And I told him that day when I went over there, <clears throat> I said, son, there's something you've got to know about God. Our God is a faith God. Without faith or knowledge of the Word of God, it is impossible to please the King. Impossible. I said, you know, the devil's the one who puts his need, and I said, you can do all the crying, begging, pleading, you want to, and nothing's going to happen. But when you repent of all your sins and you believe these promises of God by faith, I said, guarantee, he'll stop the world to take the warts off of your body and the scars. So I spent two and a half hours or so, two or two and a half hours, building their faith one-on-one like I've done so many times with so many people. Then I asked him a question after they got their sins repented up. I said, I turned right and looked at Phil, sitting right beside me on my couch. I said, son... Do you believe that Jesus that I've been reading about this afternoon can take those warts off of your body? He looked at me and said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you read out of that book today, I believe Jesus can do anything. Is that the kind of faith the king's looking for? That's what he's looking for. <clears throat> do you believe the king can do anything? Somebody says, well, I'm not sure he's there. Well, let me tell you, got to me too late. I know he's there. So anyway, I knelt on the floor with all the rest of them, and his mother and his daddy and his sister were all there, and we knelt on the floor. And he was just 11, and I prayed the prayer of faith based around Matthew 18:19. See, that for the obedient children of God, that promise is there for you and me. Jesus clearly said in Matthew 18:19, "Again, I tell you." that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Pretty awesome promise, isn't it? What kind of limitations did he give the obedient church? None. None. That's exactly right. Not any. But he did tell you to be obedient too, didn't he? Yes. Uh, it, which means if you don't do what he said and be obedient, then he's not going to do what he said he would do, is he? That's right. So that's where we think we can go out and live like the devil, you know, lie, steal, cheat, talk evil about people, do all the things we want to do, and it's going to be no recourse, and then we can come and ask God anything. But it don't work like that. It don't work like that at all. Be kind of like you if you were a mother, and you had a son. You said, son, I want you to mow the yard. And he's 15 years old, and he bows up and looks at him and said, you old witch, you go mow the beast yourself if you want it mowed. Ooh. And then he said, oh, by the way, Mom, I need $50 to go out with my friends this afternoon. I'm sure you're going to be just lovely. You're just going to reach in your purse and oh, hand- You're not, huh? <laughs> now, if he said, sure, Mom, I come in this morning. Mom, the yard looks a little bad out there. Mom, I'd love to mow the yard for you. Would you like for me to mow the yard for you today? Well, yeah, I believe it. Would. Well, let me get out there and, man, he manicures that thing. When he gets through, he ain't even going to have to ask for no money, is he? No. And he comes in, puts his arm around and says, Mom, I did this for you just because I love you so much. You're so good to me. I just love you so much. Mm-hmm. Hey, what can the boy have then? Anything he wants. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? <clears throat> when you're a mother and your children treat you like that, they can have anything they want, anything you're capable of giving them. And that's the way it is with God, only he has no limitations. <clears throat> I mean, he can heal... Allergies. He can heal a brain tumor. He can put an arm back in place. He can put a hip back in place. He can heal a back. When you become obedient, repent. I mean, I, Cheryl and uh, both Sharon, I think about I kid them once in a while. I said, when you girls both came to me, y'all were basket cases. <laughs> My wife, Cheryl, she had so many little things wrong with her. Of course, Sharon had so many things wrong with her. She had to have somebody to drive her over here the first time she came. You know, I mean, that's a basket case, you know it. And she's a young woman. Look at her. She's still a young woman, you know, but she's a whole lot better shape today. But I kid her, too, once in a while, she'll walk in and she'll be strong and everything. And I walk up to her and I say, Sharon, have you backslid this week? And boy, she bows up at me and says, absolutely not. She said, I ain't never going to backslide from God. I said, well, I just thought I'd check you out, girl, to <laughs> see what you're going to do. Because the enemy's slick. He'll do everything he can to draw you back into his world. Even after you've received a healing or a miracle or something from God, that beast is still slick. But Matthew eighteen nineteen says, If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Now that's a promise to God's obedient children. And those that really believe him. Well, Phil believe that day and I believe that day. And then, of course, when I got up off my knees, his mother asked me a question. Thurman, when are they going to come off? I said, Now, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. I said, He can do it immediately. He can do a miracle. They can just, everyone fall off right now. That's, God can do that. Or I said, He may take them off one at a time. It may take him a day, may take him a week, may take him a month. But I said, I guarantee you on the word of the living God that if you stay in faith with me, it will happen. Because Jesus made us the promise. Well, you know, it's kind of tough to guarantee God, isn't it? No, not really. If God said it, we ought to be able to guarantee what God says. I mean, you guarantee. I mean, whenever you go down and buy you a new Chevrolet, you don't know anybody that works at General Motors more than likely. But they say we give you a 36,000 mile warranty. You believe that. And let me tell you, something goes wrong with that car in $36,000. miles. you back in there at that dealer. You expect them to fix it too, don't you? Sure you do. They guaranteed it. And so you expect them to stand behind that car as long as they said they would. Well, why do we not believe God? He guaranteed us what he would do. Of course, he guaranteed some things we don't want to hear too. If you sin, (laughs) he guaranteed some problems would come upon us. But well, we don't want to hear that. Lord, surely not me. You know, surely I can do anything I want to do and there's going to be no consequence. But that's not true. He's no respecter of persons. And if we sin, we get a demon. And we turn. he turns those demons loose on us. People don't see this side of God. But when you read the scripture, it's all over the word of God. All over it. So today, we're going to start out in Exodus. I'm going to read a couple of promises or a few promises to you. From the law, which we're not under today, we supposedly have a better covenant on better promises than the old covenant. But I'm going to show you what's available under the old covenant. And I'm going to show you what, is, what you must do to make these things come to pass. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be at another healing school. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Now, Lord, this is your business. This is your ministry. It's your power that heals your people. And so, Lord, we're just here to be the messenger boy, and you do the rest. So, Lord, I thank you for being here. I thank you for being compassionate and merciful to your people. And I thank you, Lord, for opening their hearts and minds to the Word of God. Now, Satan, I rebuke you and command you not to steal a word out of anybody's mind or heart today. And I command you to get out of this place and not create any kind of a disturbance in this place today under no conditions in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, thank you for sending your angels to watch over this place to protect it while we, as your children, are here to discuss your word. And we want to know you better so we can walk closer and holier to you. And we praise you and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, then, in Ezekiel chapter 15, <clears throat> starting in verse 25, I want to. Excuse me, Exodus, I'm sorry. Exodus 15, I think I did say Ezekiel, didn't I? I was just reading some scriptures in Ezekiel, and they're still running around up there. In fact, I might just tell you, I don't even remember the reference right now, but I do remember the verse. I'm going to have to hide this one in my heart also. In Ezekiel, he was talking about if we sin, after we have done all kinds of great things for him, He said, if you sin and fall back into iniquity, you will lose all of your rewards. All of them. I thought, wow. Lord, this means if I were to serve you diligently for 30, 40, or 50 years, and then I get into some kind of iniquity or sin and stop loving you, I might have had treasures heaped up in heaven and on this earth that was abundance. And then all of a sudden... I get off into some kind of iniquity or sin and stop loving people. And he said, that's it. You messed up. I'm withdrawing all of your treasures in heaven and all your blessings on earth. I'm taking them all away. And you will receive no rewards. That's scary, isn't it? But that is in Ezekiel. I can't remember where it was, but I just read that the other day. And I thought, wow, that's been running around my head ever since. I thought, Lord, I want to make sure... That I remain faithful. Because it seemed like I read somewhere in the scripture where he said to them that remain faithful to the end. You think he really meant that? Yeah. He means for us to remain faithful to him and serve him till we take our last breath on this earth. And then when we do that, it's for sure we're his children. (coughs) But in Exodus... Fifteen twenty-five. That's what we're going to go to start off with. Exodus fifteen twenty-five. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a branch. Moses took the branch, and he threw it into the water. This made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord laid before them the following conditions to test their faithfulness to him. Now, you think God will test you? <clears throat> Guarantee he will. He'll find out what you're made out of. He put them to the test to find out if they were going to be faithful to serve him. And here's the requirements in verse 26. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and his laws, then I will will not make you suffer the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. What was the requirement there? If you will listen carefully and obey, that doesn't seem too difficult, does it? We as parents expect our children to do the same thing, do we not? As long as you have children and they're at home, and you tell them what to do, and they obey you, there's absolutely no problem. But whenever they disobey, then there is fear. In fact, I just taught this scripture on GLC the other night about Hebrews 10:26. You don't hear that taught very often. If you willfully sin after you have the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sin left but only a fearful expectation of judgment. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for he will judge his people. That's scary, isn't it? Today, lots of people in the church, and one of the sins that I'm experiencing more and more all the time, is sins with people, not necessarily young people, But all people, and it's sexual sins. You know, young women have cancer in their private parts. Men have cancer in those areas. Well, when you check them out, what are they doing? They're living in sin. Isn't that amazing? Where that I'll give you an example of something... That just happened to my wife recently. She came to me, you know, and talked to me about some problems we were having in the church with some people. You know, when you've got people in the church, you always got problems. You all know that? You know? And so different people had told her different things. So she came to me and started telling me all the things about this. And I said, hey, we're borderlining on gossiping. She said, but no, I'm not gossiping. I'm telling you. You're my husband and you're the pastor. You need to know these things. I said, no, I really don't need to know these things. I mean, I, I, can, I can you know, run the church without knowing these things. So I said, you know, the Lord clearly told us in his word to those that would have good days and, and see good days and have a long life must refrain their tongue from speaking evil about others. So I said, you know, let's, let's just, I don't really need to know this, so let's just drop it and let's don't talk about it. And she said, well, okay. But the next morning, she woke up and couldn't hardly talk. Very next morning. And she came to me and said, you got to pray for me. Well, it took us about three or four days. She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I will never say nothing about nobody ever again. Not even to my husband. You know, isn't it amazing? But we learn lessons the hard way. You know, and of course, I've told the story to many of you, but... Uh, Those of you that are from out of town won't know this story. But just a few weeks before that, it's amazing what when God, you know, how many of you know God says, I hate a liar? You ever heard that in scripture? You think he really meant that? You think there would be a consequence if you told just a little bitty lie? Well, there could be. Depends on where you are in your walk with God. Well, I'm in a pretty serious walk with God. So he, I'm kind of like an adult, so he don't tolerate much nonsense with his adults. Is that right, Sharon? Yes, sir. See, so he, I'm in a little unique place now, and he expects a whole lot out of me. And so the other morning, I got up at 8 o'clock and went over to the minister center and had a bowl of cereal. You know, no big deal, right? So I'm working, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Cheryl had been up nearly all night that night, so she slept in during the day. But finally, she came over to minister center about 3 o'clock that afternoon. And when she walked up to me, she said, honey, have you eaten today? Well, immediately I'm thinking lunch, you know. I said, no. Now, what did I just do? She said, have you eaten today? I had a bowl of cereal at 8 o'clock. When she said, have you eaten today? And I said, no, what did I just do? I lied. I didn't premeditate that lie, but I lied. And so we went and had something to eat. Well, that afternoon, my head began to stop up. And I thought, what is this? I said, no curse comes upon me undeserved. I rebuked the enemy. I said, well, I got to be fine in the morning. Woke up next morning. I was a whole lot worse. My head was stopped up. I was having trouble breathing. I thought, Lord, what is this? I said, Lord, did I sin? You said in your word in Proverbs 26, 2, no curse can come upon me undeserved. I said, did I sin? And he said, yes. I mean, just as clear. I thought, what? It didn't take him long to answer. <laughs> yes. And I thought, Lord, what did I do wrong? And immediately he took me right back to yesterday. And he said, you lied to your wife. I said, Lord, I would not lie to my wife. He said, you most certainly did. She asked you, have you eaten today? And you said, no. And he said, you plainly had a bowl of cereal at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. I said, Lord, I repent. He said, okay, I'll forgive you. But now you need to go tell Cheryl. You lied to her. So I went in and I said, honey, I'm so sorry I lied to you yesterday. She said, what? You lied to me? I told her what it was. She said, well, it didn't make no difference. I said, obviously it did with God. And it took me two more days to drive that devil of hell out. Somebody said, you know, that's hard for me to believe. Well, let me tell you. God says walk holy before me, didn't he, Sharon? You think he meant that? You know he meant that, don't you? Yes. The thing that I have learned over the years, it all depends on where your walk is with God. It's kind of like your children. You know, whenever your children are little, they can do things that you're not so upset, but when they get 10 or 12 or 15, you don't expect them to do the same things they did when they was three. You know, And you don't let them get by with the same thing when they're 15. You let them get by with when they was three. So as you grow up with God, he holds you accountable. I mean, really seriously accountable. You really have to watch everything you do. He really holds us accountable. Now then, some of you may have been born again at a very young age, and you've never grown past a babe. Well, he holds you accountable for that too. Somebody said, well, gee, if he's going to hold me more accountable, then I don't want to study the word. Well, he holds you accountable for studying the word. You know you know that, don't you, brother? He says, over in Timothy, Paul was talking to Timothy, he said, Study to show yourself approved unto God. That don't mean read the Word of God, that means study it. So when you study it, you read it and really meditate on the Word. And then, if you will keep all of these commandments and all of these statutes and all of his rules, if you will do that, it will prevent you from having any sickness and disease. Because if it was under the law, way back under thousands of years ago, these were the requirements, and God never changes. If he says obey me, I mean he means for us to obey him today. And when we don't, it brings sickness and disease upon us. Now let's go a little further here to Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse eleven. Deuteronomy thirty, eleven. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse eleven. Uh I got a called last night from a young lady uh i forget where she was at i forget where but where honey san antonio. oh san antonio that's right san antonio and she was having all kinds of problems she was uh, uh, supposed to go back in for surgery and she somebody somebody and she was a great little christian girl went to church loved god I I don't know what age she was. I'm guessing somewhere in maybe 30s, late 30s or early 40s or whatever. But she said somebody gave her one of my CDs, and she listened to it, and she said, that was so powerful. I have never heard anything like this in my life. And she said, every time you quoted a scripture, I wrote down a reference, and I went to my Bible and said, my Bible said exactly what you said. And she said, it so revolutionized my life I said, if a man can walk in this and see these kind of miracles, and God's no respecter of persons, he'll do the same thing for me. So she was supposed to go back in for some kind of test or surgery or something, and she stood on God's word. And she said, when I started to stand on his word, the pains and suffering got terrible. But she said, I continued to make sure... I, had, I also heard you say, i got to repent of every sin. She said, I'm telling you, I was on my face repenting of everything I'd ever done. And she said, when I got all them repented of, I said, now you devil of hell, I know who you are for the first time in my life, and you're not doing this to me. And last night when I called her at 1130, I finally, I, when I got back in and I heard that one, Cheryl said, honey, you need to call this girl. So I called her, and she said, I am so glad you called. She said, i got to tell you. That when I heard your teachings, I'd never heard anything like this in my life. And she said, I'm telling you, I started standing on God's word, and that devil come against me every way. But she said, I'm telling you, in a little while, I got all of the pain taken care of, and today I know I am healed, and I'm not going to have to have surgery. She said, I know God has already healed me. It's done. Totally changed her life. Well... When you get a hold of God's word and you learn who the enemy is and you get your sins repented of, you can kick the enemy out. But you'll have to fight your fight of faith. So, look at what the Lord says in Deuteronomy 30:11. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. Now, I'm reading this in the Living Bible, so that's why it reads like it does. But it'll read close as it does in your, in your King James or whatever translation you have. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand or to perform. Now, God will never ask you to do something you can't do. Whatever he tells you to do, he's given us the power to get it done. It is not up in heaven, so distant that you must ask, Who will go to heaven and bring it down so we can hear and obey it? It is not beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear and obey it? The message is very close at hand. Now, it couldn't get much closer than this. It is in your mouth and in your heart. How close is that? I mean, that's about as close as you can get, isn't it? In your mouth and in your heart. So that you can obey it. It's very close at hand. Now, listen. This is what he's saying in verse 15. Now, listen. Today... I am giving you a choice. Isn't this amazing that God always give us a choice? He didn't tell us what we had to do. He told us what to do. And then he says, you can obey if you want to or you can disobey. If you obey, the blessings will come. If you disobey, the curses will come. That really is kind of just like a parent today, isn't it? But he says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between prosperity and disaster. I mean, my goodness, who would want to choose disaster? Isn't that amazing? I am giving you a choice between prosperity and disaster. Between life and death. I mean, I mean, who in the world would choose the wrong way? I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to keep His commands, His laws, and His regulations by walking in His ways. That's, that's what he says. If you do this, if you do this, you will live and become a great nation, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You think God's ever changed? Do you wonder why, after what we're seeing happen right now in America, today, with the wickedness that's on television and the wickedness that we see everywhere else, is it any reason that we're looking, and this area here that we live in is devastated with the worst drought we've had in a hundred years. Isn't it awesome? We've had no rain hardly at all in 10 months. I mean, this place is dry. Tanks are dried up. No grass. Yesterday, we had fires everywhere yesterday. Yesterday afternoon.
1: For
0: here. Yeah, well, you know, the thing about it is, it's not just because an Arab person comes to this country. God loves that Arab person just like he does everybody else. But I'm going to tell you why we're suffering what we're suffering. It's not because the Arabs have come over here. It's because the church is not serving God. Now, see, the word of God, the word of God says, I am God. God is not holding the lost world responsible for their sins at this point. Isn't that amazing? I am not holding the world responsible for their sins. But he's holding the church responsible for their sins. He says, if the church, my people, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and then will I heal heal their land. So who's got to change? The church. We got to change. Just like Sharon pointed herself there. Sharon had committed a sin 30 years before that brought her sickness and disease on. And then after the accident in the automobile and brought the back injury on, through the years, she had missed it and sinned many other ways of which all of us do if we're not careful, not realizing that every sin she's committing is opening another door to destroy that piece of flesh that she lived in. But she didn't know that. But when she came to me... She made a statement to me that day. She said, Mr. Shrivner, I need to be healed, but I want you to know I go to a big church here in the Dallas area, and I have been prayed for by at least a hundred people with no results. That's what you told me, sir. Yeah. And I said, well, young lady, of course, I didn't know her very well at all. So I hadn't just barely met her. But I said, young lady, first of all, you have never repented of the sins that you've been doing that's opened the door to the devil to bring this sickness and disease to your flesh. She didn't know that. So she repented. She said, you mean i got to repent of all my sins? I said, well, if you want to get healed, you do. So she began to repent. Say, said, Lord, I'm sorry. And she poured her heart out to God. And just like she said, it's not difficult. I told her after she repented, I said, number two, have you ever come to God on behalf of his word? She said, well, I don't know what you mean. I said, God says in Jeremiah 1.12 that he watches over his word to perform his word. So I said, if you don't come to God on behalf of his promises and call him in remembrance of his promises, chances are you're going to get nothing. I said, then if you don't pray in faith, you don't get nothing. Just like this one girl that I was talking to last night I told you about. She said, when I got really down bad a couple of weeks ago, I did called the elders of the church that I go to. He said, I'm a very active member of my church, and I called the elders of the church and come over and asked them to pray over me according to James 5.14. And she said, nothing happened. I didn't get any better. I got worse. I said, well, let me tell you what they said when they walked in. God doesn't heal everybody every time. Now, we don't know what he's going to do here, so we're, since you've requested this, we're going to pray, if it's God's will, he heal you. And she said, that's exactly what they said. And I said, and you didn't get nothing, did you? She said, no, I didn't get nothing. Well, see, God's a faith God. He expects the elders in his church to believe his word. And they did not. And so he says, I'm not going to do nothing for this bunch. You haven't spent enough time in my word to even be diligent to know what I said. And so he didn't do nothing. Well, I told Sharon, then I said, Sharon, next thing after you've Come to God on behalf of a promise of His Word. Then we got to pray in faith. And that's when I reached up. And after she did all those things, I just reached up and laid my hands on her and quoted a Scripture. And I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. It's that simple. I didn't knock her down. I didn't scream. I didn't do nothing. I just touched her and quoted the Word of God. And he done the rest, didn't he, Sharon? And here she sits before you completely healed. I mean, isn't that amazing? God made the promise, didn't he, brother? We don't have to do something wild or stupid. All we do is just quietly pray a simple little prayer. He hears. He's not hard hearing. <laughs> God is not hard hearing at all. He knows everything that's going on. He's the king of the universe. Ain't no use when you get excited and start jumping up and down and screaming and saying, well, I'll do this or do that. No, you just repent of your sins. We pray the prayer of faith for you. And we, after that, God does the rest, you know? It's amazing, just like that young lady that was here, uh, I guess it was last Sunday or Sunday before last. I asked for a testimony, and she came come running up here, and she says, My name is Jan, and she said, I came here a year ago. And she said, The main thing that was wrong with me, said I had many things wrong with me, but one of them was 15 years ago, I lost feeling from my elbows to my fingertips. Do you remember her? And so for 15 years, she couldn't feel anything from her elbows down. But she said, when I came up, Thurman asked me to repent of all my sins. And she said, I got to thinking, you know, I committed a sin just before my arms went dead. So she said, I repented of that sin and all other sins I could think of. And said, he reached up and ever so gently laid his hands on me and rebuked the enemy and prayed the prayer of faith for me. She said, I expected him to knock me down or something, but said, he didn't do nothing wild. He didn't even scream or nothing. He just prayed a simple little prayer. And I said, is that all there is to it? He said, yes, God takes care of it from here. So she said, I got up and started back to my chair. She said, I got back and sat down in my chair and reached up and touched the chair. And for the first time in 15 years, I felt it. She said, I felt it. She said, I reached over with the other hand and I could feel with the other hand. And she said, that happened from the time he prayed that simple little prayer. And I got back to my chair. So she said, after that, I thought, this stuff really works. (laughs) I repented, and he prayed, and God heard. And she said, my arms are healed. So she said, the next few weeks and months, I could stand by faith for the rest of my problems that I had. And a year later, she said, I stand before you today to tell you, just like Sharon, I am completely healed from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. She said, I don't have one single problem wrong with me. But she had many when she came here a year ago. Now, does God hear? Sure he does. He knows everything. He knows what's going on. He knows what you're doing. He knows even your thoughts. And let me tell you, when, you know, how many of you know that God says in his word that thou shalt not commit adultery? Everybody heard that scripture? How many of you have all heard Jesus when he said, I tell you that if you look at a person to lust for them in your heart, you're already guilty of the sin." Anybody ever heard God say that in his word? So if you look at someone and lust or even start meditating on, I would like to do this with this person, you're sinning. Well, there was a young lady came to me one day. She said, Mr. Schrivener, I would love to hear God's voice like you hear it. I said, you will. Just keep serving him. Well, one day this girl started going with a young man and she fell in love with this guy. They were all oh she's a Christian, he's a Christian, they ain't doing nothing wrong, you know. But she said we're sitting there one night, I'm in his arms, and she said I got to thinking now she had been married once before and her husband left her, and she'd been married several years and then he left. She and she'd not been married for several years. And she said I was sitting there in his arms and I so loved this guy, and while he was so gently loving me, and I just thought to myself, Lord. I, she didn't say, "Lord." She said, "I thought. I wonder what it would be like to go to bed with him." And she said, "All of a sudden, the Lord." Now I'll use the word Susie for a name because that's not her name. He said, "Susie, stop it! You're sinning." Now, how would you like to hear God <laughs> say that to you? Let me tell you. You know what? You know what Susie did. She backed off. She got off on the other side, and she said. I think we better just kind of talk a little while. No more kissing, just talk. Because see, she was going the wrong place. Now here's a young lady that wanted to hear God's voice, but she didn't want to hear what she heard. But it's a good thing the king spoke to her, right? Susie, stop it. You're sinning. Isn't that amazing? Now you know, a lot of us would be a whole lot better off if if God would speak to us audibly like that. But he speaks to all of us through his word, and he says, I hold you accountable for what I said in my word. But it sure does make it wonderful when he does talk to you in a voice you can hear. I mean, Let me ask this question. How many of you all have ever heard that authoritative voice of God? Wow, hands all over the place. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful when God talks, isn't it? It is so wonderful. But you know what you want to hear him say? Well done, faithful sir. Oh, you're doing such a good job for me, little lady. I love you so. That's what we want to hear, right? But when he says, stop it, you're sinning, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> but if you're sinning, I guarantee that'll straighten your act up. But see, God knows even our thoughts. The little girl, Susie, which is a fictitious name, she was just thinking this. It wasn't even spoken. But God knows even the thoughts of your heart. So you can't hide from him. So you got to be open with the king if you want to walk in health and want to be healed. Then he says, in Deuteronomy 30, let's go on down. The uh, verse 17 said But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen... And if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, verse 18, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Now, do you think God's still the same? Yes, he is. Then he says, verse 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death. You know, you would think that wouldn't be a choice. Who would make the wrong choice? You know where I'm coming from, don't you, young lady? I mean, if somebody walks in, if you were a young man and your daddy walked in and said, Son, I'm going to give you a choice today. If you take that route right there, I'm going to bless everything you do. But if you go this direction, I'm going to follow you all the way with a board and I'm going to wear your hiney out all the way to the other end of that track. You would think, surely we're going to go the right direction. Wouldn't you? But... There's some of us that'll take the wrong one just to put daddy to the test to see if he will do what he said he will do. I never understood that. But today I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. And I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your descendants might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him. And commit yourself to him, for he is your life. Then you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From all of this, what is it that we see that's so important here in all these choices for the church today? Obedience. That's it, isn't it? It's really quite clear, isn't it? Obedience. But see, since God is invisible and the devil's invisible, many of us won't walk obedient. We think when, well, in church, I wouldn't dare take the Lord's name in vain in church. I wouldn't say, well, that GDSOB, you know, in church, but you get out there in the car with your wife and start down the street and somebody nearly runs over and you say, look at that GDSOB. He nearly run over me. Yeah, I mean, we know, you know where I'm coming from? And your wife says, grief, good grief, honey, did you hear what you just said? He said, if I want anything from you, you shut up. If I need any advice from you, I'll ask you. <laughs> and you want to know why that guy has sickness? You want to know why <laughs> that things happen in his life? Somebody said, he's the best guy I've ever seen. He's a deacon in the church. But see, God knows his other life. He may be the best guy you've ever seen in church. But God knows his thoughts. God knew Susie's thoughts when she was sitting there in the arms of that boy. But he told her, stop it, you're sinning. He knows everything about us, doesn't he? So can you fool him? No. You now, when you walk out that door, you've got to be on guard just like you are when you're in the church house. It's no difference. And let me ask you this question. Is it difficult to stay on guard 24-7? Yes, it is. You better believe it is. When you're out there all by yourself, you don't think there's nobody in the world out there but you. But God and the devil is there. And when you step into sin, even with thoughts, you'll open the door to that devil. And that devil will come into us and make us sick and afflict us and torment us and our children. Now, God told us in his word over and over and over under the new covenant, that we, the church, are to have no sin. You know, and it's all over the book. We're going to see many of those today. But I hear people in the church saying, it's impossible. In fact, one night I had a young man in Bible study. He was sitting right over here with this gentleman was sitting. And I said, you know, God told us not to sin. We're supposed to have no sin in our life. And I was teaching in the book of Romans. And it's just all over the book of Romans. And that man, he spoke up and said, well, sir... You know, we're just unworthy sinners, and we sin all day, every day. And I just looked right at him, and I said, you speak for yourself. I'm not an unworthy sinner. You know, I don't sin all day, every day. I used to be an unworthy sinner, and I used to sin all day, every day. But when I got saved, I got cleaned up. And now that I'm delivered out of the devil's world and put into God's world, and over here, he told me not to sin. So I'm striving over here to walk in obedience to his word. Because over here, he holds me accountable. When I was over here in the devil's world, I wasn't his child. He didn't hold me accountable. Now, the devil could do anything he wanted to, but God didn't hold me accountable. God don't hold the world accountable until they die. When they die, that's when he holds them accountable. And, of course, that's when they get to fall into the pit of hell. What a reward. You can't even imagine what it's like, and I can't either, although I've, Meditated on these scriptures, thought about these scriptures, what it would be like to reach over and put your hand on a red hot fire and you couldn't take it out. And watch that hand be consumed with fire. Can you imagine the pain that would be there? And then you think, well, this has got to be over in a minute. And you take your hand out and your hand comes back to normal and then your hand's put right back in that fire and you go through it again. That's what hell's going to be like. Only for your whole body. And nobody has to go there. Because it's a choice. People say, if God really loved me, he would not send me to hell. God's not going to send anybody to hell. This set of choices he gives us right here, he give it to every human being on the face of the earth. Anybody wants to come and love him and serve him? All you've got to do is do it. And he'll save you. And the same way with Healing. If you will believe his word and repent from your sins and believe him with no doubt in your heart, he'll heal you. Just like this gentleman back here talked about that prayer they prayed. seeing that brain stem put back together. I mean, I mean, of course, I'm very familiar with brain stem. My granddaughter, you know, I mean, she just had her eighth birthday. You know, and I mean, just uh, uh, when she was three years old. I mean, I walked in that hospital room, looked at little Caitlin Land tore all two pieces. Her brain stem was severed. Her skull was crushed in five places. Her eyes were jerked out of her brain, along with all the other things. And it's impossible for her to live, the doctors say. But the Word of God says something different. If you're walking in obedience to God's Word, think. In John 15:7, this is another promise God give you as an obedient child. He said, my children that love me keep my commandments. So if we love God, we keep His commandments. We love Him, we love our neighbor, and we love ourselves. He said, if you walk in love, he said, if my words, in John fifteen seven, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, then you can come ask me anything you want and I will do it for you. Is that a pretty awesome promise from the king? Amen. Amen. And you love it, don't you, brother? Because yeah. when you ask him and you're walking obedience to his word, man, he makes a brain stem work, doesn't he? Yes, Woo, glory to God. I love it when God does those kind of things for his children. So, I did the same thing. I walked in there and asked the Lord to restore her little face and and put her back together and make her perfect. And I said, Lord, I I don't even want her normal. I want her supernatural because you're a supernatural God. So I want her to be smarter than ever. I want her to be faster than ever. I want her to be supernaturally healed. Well, she came home this last week with her report card in the second grade and Everyone on it was a straight A. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. A straight A. And also, the, note, the teacher sent us a note the other day and said, We had races in the second grade among all the girls the other day and said, Caitlin is the fastest girl in the second grade. I thought, for a little girl that could never walk, that could never live, nothing, she's smart, straight A's. And also, the, the teacher said, It's obvious. Of course, I have to give my son and his wife this credit because they keep her said she is one of the nicest little girls in the class. She always says, thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you, sir. And said her attributes are being carried over into the class. Now, that's a far cry from where most of them walk, walk, walk up to most children today, and they say, hi, how are you doing? And one of them will say, oh, hi. You know, they won't say, you say, can I do something for you? And they won't say, yes, sir. They'll say, yeah, if you want to. You know, we don't teach our children how to be, you know, respectful. But my son and his wife is teaching Caitlin that, and I was so blessed when I got that letter from the teacher to say that her attributes are being carried over and caught by the other children in the class. How would you like to be a school teacher where all your children would hold up their hand to ask a question and they wouldn't say nothing until you called on them. And then they'd say, oh, ma'am, Mrs. So-and-so, could I ask this question? Oh, thank you, ma'am, for your answer. How would you like to be a school teacher today like that? Woo! that's the way it's supposed to be, you know. But we don't teach our children anymore. But the church is supposed to teach our children how to do these kind of things. And if we walk in obedience to God's word, he promised us right here, In Deuteronomy 30, that He would bless us if we do what He says, and He would curse us if we don't do what He says. He says He will take sickness and disease away from us. It's amazing these great and awesome promises. Let's look and see what the let's go to the New Testament and let's see what the will of God is for his children. Let's look and see what the New Testament says. It's in 1 John chapter 2. It says, My dear children, 1 John 2, see what the will of God is for God's children. My dear children, I am writing this letter to you so that you will not sin. Now, right there, what do you think the will of God is for his children? No sin. sin. That's absolutely right. I am writing this letter to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And how can we be sure that we belong to Him? By obeying His commands. Look at verse 4. If anyone says, I belong to God but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. That's scary too, isn't it? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, where do you go to church? Well, me and God's got a deal. I don't have to go to church. That's not the deal, folks. That's not the deal. The deal is the word. And he clearly says in Hebrews ten twenty five to forsake not... The gathering of yourself together on a regular basis, as a manner of some are. And especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching. I'm telling you what, if you don't see God coming with what's going on today, you're not in the Word. Do you know, it wouldn't surprise me that if He comes this year or next year, I believe we are that close. But He's coming for an obedient church. Are you obedient? Are you looking for His coming? He says, I'm coming for those that are looking for me. What if you're not looking for them? You're going to be left. I mean, we had ten virgins. They were all out there. Five of them were ready, and five of them wasn't. How many got to go? Five. The five got left, and then when the five went and got the oil and comes and knocked on the door, he said, Who are you? And they said, Well, Master, we didn't have our oil, but we now want in. He said, I don't know you. The door's already closed. It's too late. You can't come in. He better be ready. He's coming. If anyone says I belong to God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. Verse 5, But those who obey God's word really do love Him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. Wow! Wow! What an example to follow. That's the way you and I are supposed to be. The example we're supposed to set is we are supposed to be just exactly like Jesus Christ. Now then, if you want to walk where God promises you in divine health, and I've only been able to do this the last 20 or so years of my life, but the last 20 or so years of my life, 67 years old today, or well, a few days ago, But anyway, today I am 67 years old, and I can still do anything I could do when I was 30. I can work all day, stay up all night, you know, run and play and walk beams and build buildings. And uh, last week, uh, before we went to GLC, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what my week consisted of. Last week, I started out early last week tearing out walls, and my, my son rented a building. And we went over there and tore a bunch of walls out, cut things out, built a bunch of headers put them in, I tore electrical circuits out all over the place, climbed up and down ladders, I mean all day long, climbed up on top of a six foot ladder, stand on the very tip top of it so I could get up in there to do whatever, worked on it from early morning till dark, because didn't have any lights in the building, so at dark, I'd come back over to the minister's center and work over there till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, take a shower, go to bed, get up the next morning, start over, and then Wednesday, we got, finally got all of his electric circuits hooked up. Wednesday afternoon, Cheryl and I get on an airplane, fly out to Odessa. We finally get in the hotel and get in bed about midnight. We get up the next morning at 8 o'clock, get over to the, uh, studio at 8 or 8.30, 8.45, make radio show, television shows, I mean, all day long, and then come back and have, uh, a few minutes there at the hotel, just a few minutes, and then get ready and live television till 10 o'clock that night, and then we talk to people and go to dinner till midnight or whatever, come back to the hotel, and we finally get in bed at 2.30 in the morning. And the next morning we get up and start over, and we make shows all day. And then last night we get home, and this morning I got in bed at 3. And here we've got a healing school today, and we've got church tomorrow. And i got study to do this afternoon. So, hey, I'm not, I'm not pulling my string. I'm pulling God's string, saying that's the strength he will give you even at the age of 67, if you'll be obedient and serving. It, it, that's a good place to walk. You know that? I love walking there. I love walking there. You know, while we were out there in the restaurant the other night, there was a lady to come up there, and she was having trouble. She said, my husband just had surgery. He's, both kidneys are failed, and he's on dialysis now and everything else, and she was telling all the bad things wrong with her husband. I said, how old is he? She said, he's 66. He's pretty old. You know? Sixty six is pretty old if you don't serve God. If you don't put God first, sixty six is old. And most people won't make it to sixty six if you don't serve God. You know, or if you're a Christian and you don't serve Him, you won't make it to sixty six. If you don't produce no fruit for the kingdom of God, probably you won't make it to sixty six. What did God put us here on this earth for as his children? To produce fruit for his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? So why do we not do what he says? Most of us don't read the word. So we just don't know what God says, but yet his word tells us what to do. Now then, in 3 John 2, let's go there. We're we're in 1 John 2. Now we're going to go in 3 John 2. Verse It says, Dear friend, I am praying that all is well with you and that your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. Some of the brothers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living in the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children live in the truth. Now that right there, although that's written by John, that's right out of the lips of the Holy Spirit. That's just like God was standing here today telling you, I am very happy with you because you're living in the truth and you're living in faithfulness. He is very pleased with us, his children, if we do what he says. And then in John 10, we'll go back to the book of John. I want to show you some things here in the book of John. In John 10, 10 we're going to go there and I want to show you who the enemy is here. It says the thief, in John 10, 10 the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. But God, Jesus says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Now then, it's real easy right here to see the dividing line. On one side of the fence, and you can't straddle this fence. On one side of this fence, you're a child of the devil. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now, his own people... He doesn't make him any difference whether he steals, kills, and destroys from them. It's not all that important because they're not being blessed by God. But his purpose is on this side of the fence, the part where the children of God are. He's sitting there lurking, watching you to see if he can get legal right to make you sick or afflict you. Now, see, the devil can't do... I used to wonder, why is it that some people are sick and some people are not? You know, you ask that question. You see one family, it seems like everybody in the family is sick. I'll give you an example. Just the other night while I was at GLC, a little lady walked up to me. And when she walked up to me, she was a very young woman. She had a little girl about this big. I looked down at that little girl and and with my spiritual eyes, I immediately saw a demon in that little girl. I saw that demon in her. When I looked at her, I, I turned on my love charm for that little girl, and man, she just frowned at me and turned the other way. And I thought to myself, okay, we got a little devil here. Got a little devil right here. So I asked the man as well, I said, what is your relationship with her? He said, I'm a, a it's like a social worker. I brought her out here tonight. I said, oh, okay. I said, here, talk to this woman and her children about jesus he said i tried but said this little girl went crazy and started screaming she didn't want to hear nothing about jesus i said that's exactly what i thought then i turned to the young lady and i said young lady where is your husband she said well i, I don't have one i said, well how long have you been divorced she said i have never been married i said so you got two children out of wedlock and never been married she said, yes. I said, okay. Now I know what's wrong with this child. I said, have, are you a born-again Christian now? She said, I have just accepted Jesus this week as my Savior. Now then, we got something going. So I reached down and touched the little girl. When I did, she drew back like this. And Her mother said, what's wrong with her? And she reached down, picked her up, and put her in arms. And I touched her on the head. She turned her head around like this. She didn't want to look. And I reached up and put my hands on her little shoulders, and I said, you devil of hell. I said, you don't have no legal right to this child no more. Your mother has just become a Christian, and I've got authority over you. I said, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, you come out of her, and you go to the pit, and don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. And the little girl turned around and looked at me, and I said, now then, little girl, would you say Jesus? She said, Jesus. And she began to jump and run around there, and she's talking about Jesus, and everybody said. What happened to her? I said, she's minus a demon. That's what. See? The demons of hell get legal right to us through sin. And our children. That's like this little uh, boy. Caleb, his mother and daddy, was a great Christian couple. Now, I don't know how this devil got into him. Maybe in the hospital. But when they brought this little boy home, he screamed all of his life. I mean he could not he would he, he just virtually was screaming or crying all the time. He's now nine months old. And she cannot find a babysitter can keep this child. She wants to work, but she can't. So she came over and asked that was before my wife Betty got killed in the car wreck. Betty was still alive. And she came over to her home and said, Betty, I know you keep children. She says would you keep my son for a while till I can find a babysitter? Betty told her, she said, well, I, I will keep him for a little while. I don't want to keep him permanently, but I wouldn't mind keeping him for you till you find one. She said, I can't find anybody that can keep my son. Betty said, I've never seen a child I couldn't keep. She said, I've raised all kinds of children. She said, sure, bring him over. I'll keep him for a while. Three weeks later, I walked in on Thursday night, and my wife said, honey, I have met my match. She said, I cannot do, make this little boy. I said, he's crying, screaming. I tried to rock him. I try to play with him. I put him in a crib. I do everything. Try to put him down to sleep. He won't do nothing but scream and cry and kick. I said, that's not normal. I looked up and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, what's wrong with Caleb? Just like that, the Lord said, a tormenting spirit. I said, okay, thank you, Lord. I said, in the morning, I'll get Caleb set free. He probably got that beast in the hospital. There's plenty of them in the hospital. So the next morning when Mama brought Caleb and she set him down that chair, he was crying and screaming and kicking. Mama was crying that morning, and she left crying. And when she left, I went over there, and he was sitting in a high chair. I knelt down on my knees on the floor, and I reached up and put my hands around his shoulders, and I kind of shook him, and he turned to look at me. And when he did, I said, you tormenting spirit of hell. You come out of him, and you go to the pit of hell, and don't you ever enter. I said, his mother and daddy are Christians. They're walking in obedience to the word of God. I said, in this house, I am a son of God, and I have all power over you. So I said, in the name of Jesus, you'll come out of Caleb, and you will not reenter him ever again in the name of Jesus. Now, see, Jesus told us clearly in Mark sixteen, seventeen, and 18, as obedient children of God, these signs shall follow them that believe. We, in the name of Jesus, can drive out Demons. That's what Jesus said. So anyway, whenever I commanded that demon to leave, he said, Now whatever you do, you must do it in total faith, nothing wavering. Yes. So when I turned loose to Caleb, I stood up and I looked at Betty and I said, Honey, I'm gonna guarantee you you and Caleb's gonna have a good day today. You hear any wavering in that? No. I walked off and I left. I come back that night about 7 o'clock. I walked in the door, and the first thing Betty said, you are not going to believe the day Caleb and I had today. I said, sure, I'm going to believe it. I said, you had a great day, didn't you? She said, we certainly did. She said, he stopped crying. Said, he slept an hour this morning. He ate a beautiful lunch. He's had an hour and a half nap this afternoon. Said, he snubbed a little bit a couple of times during the day. But said, I rocked him, and he went right to sleep. He had no problem. Said, when mama come got him, he wasn't crying. So, Monday morning, when Mama brought him back, she come running in the door and said, Betty, what did you do to my son? (laughs) Did you give him some medicine? Betty said, of course not. I would never have given him any medicine without your approval. Why? She said, he's a different boy. Said, he didn't cry all weekend long. He slept good. Said, he is totally a different boy. Said, you did something. What did you do? And Betty said, well, Thurman and I, Prayed for him. She said, well, whatever you did, it worked. Well, Mama left and left Caleb. He was there just playing, having a good time. I walked up and patted him on the head and said, hi, son, how are you doing this morning? He just kind of smiled and looked up at me. Only nine months old. I told her, I said, honey, why didn't you tell her that I cast a (laughs) demon out of her son? She said, honey. I'm not ready for this, and I live with you, and I know that Baptist woman ain't ready for this, so she said, I'm not about to tell her. Now, how would you feel if you had a change like this, and you say, what'd you do? And the guy said, oh, no problem, ma'am, I just cast a demon out of your son. You know what the average mother would say? My son can't have a demon. Well, let me tell you, your son can have a demon, and that's what's wrong with us. And we can get them so many ways. And until you and I, the church, begin to understand that these problems that we have on this earth is caused by demons. These invisible beasts that we can't see. They come to us to put thoughts in our mind. They come to us to put pain and symptoms upon us. And they try to do all these things to us even when we walk in obedience to God's word. I mean, a demon will come to you when you're totally obedient to God's word, and he may put a thought in your mind to do something that's wrong. Some of you may have heard about the lady over here a few years ago that was a pastor, I mean, a Pentecostal pastor's wife, and she had three children. And she was driving by the lake over here, and all of a sudden she hears a voice, and she said, and it was in the newspaper, I heard the voice of God. He told me to drive into the lake and drown my children. So she drove into the lake. And her three children were strapped in the back. And all three of them drowned She got out. Why did you do this? She said, God spoke to me. God told me to drive my car into the lake. What God was that? Sure, it was the devil. It was the devil. Can you hear the devil's voice? Sure, you can. He can talk to you. And here's the thing. I've heard both God's voice, I've heard God's voice at least audibly 30 times. But I've only heard the devil's twice. And let me tell you, this is what's staggering. You can't tell them apart, they sound just exactly the same. How do you determine which one's which? By the context of the message. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, who's it talking? The devil. If it pertains to life and life abundance, who's talking? God. God. That's right. Jesus. That's the only way you can tell. So if you hear this voice, don't ever believe it's Jesus unless the voice lines up with what is written for a life and life abundant for you. Yes. That's like one day a lady was driving. She'd come in my Bible study class. She said, mean, I heard God's voice. She said, the Lord, I was driving down the road talking to God about my son. And said, Lord, you know, my son's gone the wrong direction. What do I need to do with him? And she said, a voice spoke to me, and it was God. And he said, and I'll just use Robbie for a, for a name. Said, Robbie is rotten to the core, and he ain't never going to amount to nothing. She said, God spoke to me. Who do you think that was? That's the devil. I told her, I said, man, that wasn't God spoke to you. I said, God would never say that about nobody. If God told you and me not to say nothing bad about nobody, I guarantee he ain't going to say nothing bad. I said, that was the devil that spoke to you and not God. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to be deceived? Because we don't listen to the Word of God, we don't study it. And when we hear a voice, we always think the voice is God. And it's not, it's the devil. You have to be very careful. I used to have this happen when I was a young man racing cars. And I think about this, and I wonder how many times men do this when you see these awful wrecks in these races. You know, I hardly ever watch one, but I have a few or see it on the news. They always show you the worst wrecks on the news. They won't show you the race, but they show you the wrecks when people get killed and bodies get mangled. That's what they always show you. So if you happen to watch the news, you get to see one of those. And I've seen a few of those, although I don't spend very little time watching television, even news. But I think when I was a young man racing, how many times I'd be racing and I'd be there in my car. And I had both motorcycles and cars. I used to be a crazy kid, you know, but I'd be on the racetrack and somebody's trying to get in front of me. And I'd hear this voice say, just pull into him. Just pull into him. You can stop him. I wonder how many people listen to that voice and do that. I said, no, I ain't going to pull into him. It might kill me and him both at this speed. You see where I'm coming from there, young fellow? See, if you hear that voice and it tells you to do something that's not bringing glory and honor to somebody else, who do you think it is that's talking to you? The devil. Sure. The devil. I mean, and how many times does the devil do this to men when they get 30 or 40 years old. Your wife, that that's beautiful little girl that you married, and now then you've got two or three children, and she's busy, and, and she uh, doesn't have time to take care of herself like she did when she didn't have nobody but her. Now she's got two or three children, and she don't have time to fix her hair as nice as she used to, and she don't look as pretty as she did when you married her when a teenage girl. And now then all of a sudden you see one that don't have no time, don't have no children, and the devil, you look at her and the devil says, oh, look at her. And she must look prettier than your wife. You hear that voice. That thought comes to your mind. Look at her. Wouldn't you rather really have her than the one you got? I know that happens a lot. Because we sure do have lots of divorces in the church. You know that? How many how many divorces are we supposed to have as Christians? How many? None. None. Zero. So why do we have so many then? Because people don't listen to God. They don't listen to his word. They listen to the enemy. When men, especially men, when the devil moves on a man's heart and then he goes out and commits adultery, then the devil has legal right to him and then his children start falling apart, then his wife starts falling apart, or sickness and disease comes up on all of them, or all kinds of serious problems, and the devil, he is behind it all. You've got to learn to listen to the voice of God, not sin, no sin. That devil puts a thought in your mind, you know, he puts a thought in your mind. Oh, just look at that other woman over there. She's so much prettier than your wife. You know, don't you think you'd rather go over and ask her for a date? You say, devil of hell, I'm married. Just because that, I'm going to run back and tell my wife how beautiful she is and how much I love her. <laughs> devil, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. But see, you always do just exactly opposite what the devil tells you to do. You know, that burns him up, you know, that he needs to be burned up. But you know what it'll do? It'll keep you and your wife from having sickness and disease. And that's what we're here for, healing school. We're here to learn how to get healed and how to keep from having sickness and disease. And if you don't sin... And you walk in obedience to God's word, you can drive this devil out and you can get healed. And you can take people that's already been, uh, have yielded their life to the devil and have been made sick and afflicted or whatever. Or even like this young man back here said, this little child that had the brain stem problem. Whenever we get sins repented of, and you can find a young man like him that's got that kind of faith, and he can pray in faith, God can take that thing and put it back, and he can do... In fact, let me quote a scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians three twenty. If you don't have this hidden in your heart, I have quoted this verse thousands of times, and just recently I've got completely new revelation on this verse. It's amazing how you can read a verse... So many times, and all of a sudden it 's like it's a brand new verse, and that 's what happened to me just recently ephesians three twenty in fact, let me read it to you so I don't I can quote it to you upside down and backwards, but i'm still going to open the Bible and read it to you ephesians three twenty I want you to think about this, and maybe you've already thought about this, but I had never thought about this until just recently. Ephesians chapter three verse twenty. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Now let's just, mine's got a comma right there, so let's stop right there. Who are we talking about in that first line? The Lord, Lord, absolutely. We're talking about the Lord. Now to him, I mean he, after all. One of the songs that Cheryl wrote just recently on on her CD, for those of you that don't have a copy of her Me CD, you need to get a copy of that. How many of you have heard heard her in her Me song? It's got some great songs on it. I mean, but one of those songs, all of them are based around the teaching that she wrote those, listening to me teach God's Word. One of them is, How Big Is Your Jesus? How big is your Jesus? Well, you know how big Jesus is to some of us? It's a little bitty God. He can't do nothing. But she says, mine made the universe. When yours gets to where yours made the universe, that's when you can see him do great and mighty things. Now listen. He done all those things, but now to him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all who can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now how much of that power do you have working in you? I always assumed that power was unlimited. But then I got to thinking, well, this guy, this young man back here, I'll use him as an example, the one that came and give the testimony. Obviously, he's got some of that power in him. He prayed the prayer of faith, so our brain stem put back. Well, let me ask you the question. How many of you have never prayed and seen God do a single miracle? Don't hold up your hand. But if you're like I was for 25 years of my life as a Christian, you could ask me that. And I never saw God do not one single thing. Never, never, not a miracle, not a healing, not an answer to prayer that I could remember. I think that's where most of the church lives. But that's not where we're supposed to live. But I lived there far too many years. How much of the power did I have working in me to see God do nothing? How much? None. That's exactly right. I had none. Although I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. But from then to now, I have studied the Word in such detail, and I've crammed that power in me. Now how much do I have in me? A little bit more. Not all yet, but i got a little bit more. When I get to pray the prayer of faith for people and see God do these wonderful things, and when this young man back there prayed for that boy, I mean, he was on fire. You hear the way he could speaking in bold faith about that brain stem. I guarantee you're healed in the name of Jesus. Now, see, he's got some power in him. He's obviously studied the Word. Now, when I walk up to you and say, are you saved? Well, I hope so. I'm not sure. How much power you got in you? None. Oh, you yeah. But if I walk up to you and say, you know Jesus? I guarantee the King of Kings is my Lord and He's my Savior. Well, do you believe He's your healer? Guarantee He's my healer because it's written in the Word. By His stripes I am healed. you know where that's found? Yes, in the Old Testament, Isaiah fifty-three, four and five, and in Matthew, first Peter two twenty-four, Matthew eight seventeen, and first Peter two twenty-four. Woo! Now then when you start talking to people, and the word it starts coming out of them like lightning, you have got a little of this power hidden in you, according to the power that works in you. So, what's wrong with us as a church? We ain't got no power in us. You know what we need to do? First thing every morning, we need to ask the Lord fill us with Your Holy Spirit and power. Lock the Word. Let me get up, Lord, spend an hour or two with You in the Word. I want to hide the Word in my heart. So when I walk out here today, Lord, I want the power of the universe in me. So when I walk out here, I can do something. I can walk up to somebody and I got enough Word in me. I can talk to them about Jesus. I can win somebody into the kingdom. If I see somebody that's lost. I, that I can win them over. I see somebody that's sick, I can go up and say, you know, i got so much of the power in me, I'm just going to lay hands on you and kick this devil out of you and you're going to get healed. And then I want you to know that you're sick because you're sinning. I want you to stop sinning so you can stay well. Amen. Isn't that amazing? When you got that power in you, think about this. Here's a little lady. All of a sudden, you hear this somebody screaming and they're burned. And all the skins burned off the arm where they fell in a big oven. Big old blisters are coming up all over. Everybody is doing worldly things. Go get a first aid kit. Pour cold water on them. Pour salve on them. But nobody says pray. Where's the power? It ain't in nobody today. But you take some man that's got a little power in him. He runs up and grabs this woman by the other arm and says, It is written. In Isaiah fifty three, four, Jesus bore your pain, so you don't have to bear it. Mark chapter sixteen, verse eighteen, Jesus said, Lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But in Mark eleven, twenty three, he said, I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. Now what kind of limitation is that? I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. What what can I do? I, if I got that hidden in me. If I got that power hidden in me, I can say, Woman I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you turn her loose, and instantly the burn goes away, and she's not hurting no more. But the blisters are still there. And it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and the woman won't even go to the doctor. And everybody tries to get her to go, but she won't because there's no pain. All those big old blisters are still there. You're quoting the Word of God. That night, her husband tries to get her to go to the doctor, she won't go. But the next morning when she wakes up and turns over and looks at her arm, there ain't no scab, no burns, no marks, no nothing. Who showed up during the night? The Lord. the Lord. Jesus. Now, he did that according to the power that works in you and me. Now, if we've got the power in us, what can we do as Christians? Unlimited things. Unlimited. If you've got the power hidden in you. And you're walking in obedience to his word. Isn't it wonderful to see God show up and do those kind of things? Wow. It's so much fun to see Jesus show up and do those kind of things. Now, since he's no respecter of persons, if if you've never seen God do one of these kind of miracles in your life, you don't have much of the power working in you. How many of you would love to see God answer your prayers like that? I'm going to hold up both hands. I love it. I love it. Well, guess what we got to do? He's no respecter of persons. We have to hide that word in our heart. Right, brother? Mm -hmm. When we put that word in our heart, then the power is in us. And just think, if we could hide all of that word in our heart. Then he says to him, our king, that can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or imagine. And all the power was in us. Can you imagine what you could see God do? It would be unlimited, wouldn't it? It would be unlimited. You would be just like Jesus. I mean, can you imagine somebody walk up and say, you know, we've got got 5,000 people here. And we only got two loaves of bread and three little fish. What are we going to do? You say, no problem, bring them to me. And you bless them and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless these. Now then, all you people pass these out to the thousands and let's have something to eat. And you take your loaf of bread and you take out a handful of bread and you put it in a plate. And you look and the bread loaf still full. And you pull out another handful and put it in there and the bread loaf still full. You say, wow, this is pretty awesome. And you just start passing out the food. Did Jesus do that? Yes, yes, he, did. yes he did. Did Jesus tell us in John fourteen twelve? To him that believes in me, not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. If Jesus said that, then what what is wrong with us? There's not enough of the power working in us, is there? We got time to study every kind of book in the world except the Word of God. You know, when I went to engineering school, I mean, I had some of those books memorized. Well, how much of the Bible do you know, Thurman? Well, let's see. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. Let's see. What else did it say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I could quote one or two verses. How much power did I have in me, brother? That's none. That's right. You're absolutely none. None. What did I see God do? Nothing. But when I started studying the Bible, like I studied my engineering manuals and started hiding that in my heart, now I've seen the Lord do awesome things. No respect your person. He don't love me any more than he does you, does he, young lady. But if he doesn't, then if you'll do the same thing I did, guess what he'll do for you? Same thing. I love to see the Lord do these kind of things. Don't you? For all of you that have stepped over into that realm. But that thief, the devil, he come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Now, 1 John 3. 1 John 3 says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. All you got to do is tell some one of your Christian friends, you know, because you keep living in sin, you belong to the devil. I mean, they get offended real quick. Thurman, I don't belong to the devil. I said, well, Jesus said you did. Well, I mean, just because I'm going out to the bars and drink every Friday night and getting drunk and messing around and sleeping around with a different woman every week, you would tell me I belong to the devil? Yes. But Thurman, I go to church on Sunday. I don't mean nothing. Don't mean nothing. So then when he comes to me and wants me to pray for him because he's got syphilis, he's got, he expects to get healed. Isn't that amazing? How people do that. You know, they want to get healed so they can go back and sin again. I think about this woman. This woman came to another woman that I know. This woman had a great ministry, healing ministry. Boy, is she a woman. Wow. I mean, she's got the Word of God hidden in her heart. Man, she's so tuned into God. She hears God's voice. Awesome. Beautiful little woman. One day a woman's approaching her. And as she's coming up, the Lord speaks to this woman and says, that woman right there has an incurable disease in her body because she fantasizes about a movie star when she has sex with her husband. Isn't that amazing? So the woman comes up and she says, you know, I have this serious sickness. She said, I know. You've got this disease. She said, how did you know? She said, well, the Lord just told me. And he says, the reason you have it, it's because you fantasize about sex with a movie star every time you have sex with your husband, and that's why you got the problem. The woman, she said, nobody knows that. She said, God knows it, and he just told me, and now I know it. And the woman said, I do that, but I have never told nobody that. She said, I know, but God knows everything. She said, now then, if you'll repent, he'll heal you. So she repented and the woman laid hands on her and God instantly healed the woman. But six months later, the woman came back with the same disease and needed to be prayed for again. This time God didn't speak to the woman. When she came up and said, this disease came back on me. She said, did you start sinning like that again? She said, I can't help myself. She said, yes, you can. And because you did not, I don't know what God will do now. But let me tell you something right here. This is a dangerous place to be. Let me show you a scripture that will confirm what I'm going to tell you about this woman. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to show you something that's... As a Christian, this will really... When I read this and... Uh, this really, really scared me. Hebrews 10, 26. Because this woman, the second time, did not get healed. But in Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. This is scary, folks. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. Now then, when you sin against God, you're the adversary. And then he says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified or saved an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. This woman did not get healed the second time. This woman had been told clearly what she was doing was sin, and God was merciful to her and healed her, and the woman told her, stop that sinning or something worse is going to come upon you. She had been told point blank by a woman of God, and she had seen a demonstration of the Spirit's power and had been miraculously healed of her sickness and went back to her same sin within six months. And this time she went away without being healed. Just one minute. Let me get a mic so I can. Now, how long it was going to be before that woman would be forgiven and healed, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. she was not healed immediately, that's for sure. Yes, ma'am. That
3: used to be New Age teaching they taught back in the 60s. If you were not happy with your husband, you could do that.
0: Oh, is that right? It
3: would make your sex better.
0: Wow. Somebody used to teach that? My goodness gracious alive. That's the first time I ever heard that. But that's, that's, that's amazing. What did she say? Uh, the statement she. And let me let her say it one more time. That way we'll let her. But we'll get it real good and clear.
3: This used to be a New Age teaching back in the 60s when you were not pleased with your husband. If he was not what you desired, if he did not perform the way you wanted, you could fantasize about, didn't matter if it was a movie star or anybody else, somebody else that you thought would be better than him to fantasize that you're having sex with him and then your sex would be better.
0: Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Now, see, that's, does that, when she says New Age teaching, does this, does this sound like God or the devil? devil. It's the devil, of course. You know how, it, you know why that men and women, you know why God says one man, one woman? Do you know that God said in his word that a man is to only look on the neckiness of one woman in his entire life, that his wife's alive. You are never to look at the neckiness of another woman. If you only look at one and you only go to bed with one, you have nothing to judge it with. So you've got to enjoy what you have. Because you have nothing else to judge it with. You don't know if it's good or bad. But chances are, you're going to enjoy your sexual relationship with your one and only spouse. You know that? Because you ain't got nothing to judge it with. If you don't go around talking to other people, you know, about sex. And we, you know, when I was raised up, nobody ever talked about sex. That was something very private in the bedroom of a man and a woman. But today, people on television... They, I mean, if you watch and turn on any of those channels, they will talk about stuff. They will say things. Some of the most wicked, awesome things imaginable is talked about on television. I mean, and it's talked about in the church. People talk about, and of course, I didn't realize how many people are sick and afflicted today in the realms of sex until I became a pastor. I had no idea how sick the church was until I became a pastor. And let me tell you, I have learned in the last four years, it has been some kind of an awesome walk. I mean, I've seen everything. I've seen men and women that couldn't get along. They were married. And I'd say, well, you know, how you know how's your sex life? And she said, it's, it's not good. Do you have sex often? Far too often. How often? Oh, once or twice a month. Once or twice a month? And you think that's too often? Yes. Well... You need to pray over it. I do. Every time we have sex, I pray. What do you pray? I hope you hurry up and get through. <laughs> I'm serious. These are the kind of things I hear. <laughs> Cheryl and I minister to people. Now, of course, that day I was with that woman. My wife was with me. I would have never sat in a room with a woman discussing those kind of intimate things without my wife there with me. You know, the thing about it is, we do not realize that when you talk to these people, Well, have you been promiscuous before? Oh, yeah, I've had sex with 37 other men. Yeah, Isn't that amazing? 37 other men in your life? That's just like one day I was talking with a young woman, and she was having trouble with her husband, and she was a beautiful young woman. And I knew it was her second or third husband she'd been married to, and I said, well, I said, why are you having so much trouble with sex with him? And she said, well, and so after we talked a little, I said, have you had sex with other men? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she said. I said, well, do you know how many men you had sex with? Oh, yeah. I said, how many? She said, 14. I said, you've been to bed with 14 different men in your life? And she was only about 40 years old. She said, yeah. And you profess to be a Christian, and you want to know why you can't enjoy sex with your husband? And you've been to bed with 14 different men? Hey. Hey. When God says one man, one woman, what do you think he meant? One man, one woman. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But you want to get sick and afflicted? Just start thinking. Just keep watching the television today and the junks on the television shows and start thinking about going there with a sexual relationship with another individual or watching television and fantasize about it. And you can come down with some kind of sickness and disease fantasizing about sex watching it on television. Isn't that amazing? How many sickness and diseases come upon us today? All because of sin. Now, you want to walk in divine health? I do. Do you you like being well? I do. Do you like going through life knowing tomorrow when you wake up, you ain't going to have nothing physically wrong with this body that you live in? I love that. But I didn't do it the first 45 years of my life, although I tried to walk in obedience to God's Word, obviously because I didn't walk in faith. Now, I didn't go out and run around on my wife. I didn't go out and lie. I didn't steal. I didn't cheat. I walked what you would call a very holy life for a man in church. I did not live a sinful life. But why did I have sickness and disease as much as I did? Because I didn't know how to walk in faith and I didn't know who the, how the enemy worked. So when the enemy would come to me, I mean, you, know, you could hear this out of my voice. Well, it's getting, fall is coming, I guess flu season is around the corner. And the next day or two, you come up with a little sniffle and say, Whoop, well, just what I thought, you know. I guess I'm going to have about a of flu. Oh, well, well, somebody say, yeah, you know, about three or four weeks. Yeah, I mean, you we dummies, you know. I mean, I was one of them dummies. I'd say, well, three or four weeks, you know, that's what it usually happens. I'll have a stopped-up head, but I'll fight it off, you know, about three or four weeks. I'll be over. Yep, three or four weeks. I'm over it. Or your mother, you know, one morning it's cold and damp and the little dew on the grass and you're a young boy and the male comes and you it out there and you run out the front door. Mom says, son, don't run out there in that cold grass. You'll catch your death of cold. None of you mothers ever said anything like that, have you? No? see? You're not quoting the Word. You're speaking curses upon your own children with your own mouth because you don't know what the Word says. Walking in that cold grass has nothing to do with you catching a cold. I mean, you know what... I mean, I don't know if any of y'all are talking about Michigan and things. I don't know, but one time I turned the television on to some kind of football game, and I think it was up in Michigan or up in the north somewhere, and it was people out there on that field with nothing, virtually nothing on but shorts or whatever... And it was ice and snow everywhere, and they were out there for a while with no clothes on doing some kind of stupid something. And I thought, these people are stupid. But it was on, they had cameras on them, and I don't know, has anybody ever seen anything like this at a football? You have too? And see, those people, they didn't catch a cold, as far as we know. They didn't catch a pneumonia. But you know how easy it would have been? All somebody had to do was say, you guys are going to catch your death of pneumonia out there with no clothes on. And if they say, nah, I do this every year, this don't bother me. Yet they don't get sick. But when they open their mouth and say, you know, I guess I never thought about that. We could catch our death of pneumonia. And the devil says, oh yeah, that's exactly what I wanted you to say. And with your own mouth, you called your own sickness upon you. Think about this principle. Literally, now I want you to go to Mark 11:23, And I want you to think about this principle in God's mighty word. I mean really this is written in God's word now when you think about this principle in Mark 11 if you really let this soak in on you Mark 11:23 Jesus makes this statement now this is the king of the universe talking Mark 11:23 for verily or truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say now, who do he say? Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. It, that is a principle from God, the creator of the universe, that you have whatever you say with your mouth. Now, when he said he made us in his image and his likeness, most of us have read that, but we don't dream that he meant what he said. I made you in my image and my likeness. And I made the heavens and earth, and I said, let there be light and light still being. And 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 I said, let there be, and it happened. And I said, let there be, and it happened. And I said, let there be, and it happened. And... All these things he said, and by faith it happened. And his power is limited to nothing. He is limitless on power. But he made us in his image, and he limited our power to the earth. He gave us the earth because he knew what we would do if he gave us power over the universe. We would mess it up big time. So he limited laughing young lady. But you know I'm telling the truth, don't you? Guarantee. You know, I think about you and I want to see you laughing there. I think about the woman that said, you know, she read that verse one day and she said, okay, there's a mountain in my backyard or out there, way out there, and it hides my view of the ocean. If Jesus said I can speak to that mountain, I'm going to go to my kitchen window. And mountain, I command you to be removed in the name of Jesus. She goes to bed, comes back up the next morning. She said, just exactly what I thought. That thing's still there. <laughs> and did she have any faith? No, she didn't have no faith at all. You know, she should have woke up the next morning and said, Lord, thank you. I know that mountain's gone. And she went back there and if that thing wasn't gone, she said, hey. In fact, you know, if she had real faith, I think about a woman that did do that one time. And she's thanked the Lord every day. There was a mountain like that, a pretty good one. And it did hide a view of some beautiful scenery, and she kept praising God and thanking him. She said, Lord, I know that mountain's gone because you told me it's gone, and I know it's gone in the name of Jesus. And she said that for months and months and months. And every time she'd walk up there and look, she'd look at that mountain. she said, Lord, I want to thank you that mountain's gone so I can see the scenery on the other side of it. Thank you, it's done. One year she went on vacation. She had gone two or three weeks with her husband somewhere. She come back on vacation, and they had built a road, and that mountain was gone. I mean, it was gone. And she could see. She said, Lord, thank you. That mountain is gone. But she had been saying that for months. Now, what did God say we could have, sure? Anything we say with our mouth if we believe it with our heart. So you see, when you say, don't go outside out there, you're going to catch your death of cold. How many mamas have said that to their children? I mean, virtually everyone have. You know, I mean we we speak things contrary to the word of God. And in verse 24, look at what it says. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Is that an awesome statement? Now I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this little story based around this verse, and then we're going to take a break. I'm going to tell you I used that verse to get my granddaughter's throat healed. After she had the accident and the car wreck and was technically killed, and her brainstem stem severed and skull crushed and all the things that happened, and I called her back technically from the dead and saw her go home and got her to walking and everything, but there was a flapper valve in her throat that would not work. And when we went home, the doctors told me, said, we do not understand why this flapper in her vo- vo- uh, throat does not work, but it does not. So don't you feed her or give her anything to drink because it will run into her lungs and kill her. So they put a plug in her stomach. And so I plug that little plug in. I take a little, a, a pop it, a little valve, take the little plug out, plug this little thing in, put a little pump into it. And I pump food, liquid food, in, directly into her stomach. Every day, three times a day. And I would pray. I would take that verse, Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you received it, and you shall have it. Is that an awesome statement from God? Do you think he really meant that? He did. But we've got to learn how to use it, don't we? It's very difficult to use that verse. Very difficult. But I prayed over her and quoted that verse... And asked the Lord to fix that valve in her throat. And I thanked him for doing it. According to Mark 11:24. 24. And two months later, we'd take her back to the doctor. The doctor would run the check. And the valve would not work. So I would bring her home. I would, I would tell the Lord, Lord, if I've committed any kind of sins, I repent. And I'm standing on Mark 11:24. I'm asking you to fix that valve in her throat. And I want to thank you for fixing it. It's done. And I'd all month, two months, I'd thank him and praise him for fixing the valve. And I'd keep feeding her right here. And we'd take her back in two months, and they'd check it, and it don't work. How many of you know it doesn't do any good to repent of your sin when you get home, if you turn right around and sin again? That's what I was doing. See, I didn't understand how the word worked. But I thought I did. So for ten months, we do this. At the tenth month, five visits. At the tenth month, the doctor said, that valve ain't never going to work. He said, it ain't worked in ten months. It ain't never going to work again. I said, I do not receive that curse. I said, I don't know what I've done wrong, but that valve's going to work because God made me the promises in His Word. Now, I don't know where I've missed it, but I'm going to find out. And I go home and I said, Lord, I take that book and I open it to Mark eleven twenty four, 24, and it says, Whatever I desire, stop. I desire the valve of my granddaughter's throat to work. He says, when you pray. When did he say? When? when? when. Oh, not next week. Uh-uh. Not two months from now when I take her back to the doctor. When? Now. 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 now? But Lord, I ain't got time to run back down there. I ain't got time to pray and run back right down there and have her checked. I don't know if it's going to work or not. Well, it ain't going to work. But I say, Lord, you said when I pray. Whatever I desire. If I believe... It'll work. I can have it. Is that what he said? I meditated on that verse for two weeks every day. Now, let me tell you, when somebody says, study the word of God to show yourself approved, either I am very dense, you know, because when one man has to meditate on just a couple of lines in the Bible for two weeks, you're either really dense or it's hard to get this in your spirit, one of the two. Or whatever it was, at the end of two weeks, I finally got it. I said, Lord, I have sinned. I have not believed your word. I said, Lord, I repent of all of my sin. I repent of not believing the word. Now, Lord, I, I know that you've, you've, you've forgiven me, and I do believe it now. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, fix the valve in Caitlin's throat. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. Now, see, I didn't do a lot of begging, pleading. I just, just like the Sharon said, well, I just kind of touched her and said, be healed. And it happened. You don't have to do something fancy with God. All you have got to do is do something in faith. So I said, Lord, it's done. Thank you. The valve works. I walked over to her house and her daddy, Toby, was over there. And I said, Toby, I said, God's waiting on me and you. He said, What do you mean? I said, I prayed this morning and God fixed her valve. He said, What do you mean? I said, It's working. He said, Thurman, we just come back from the doctor two weeks ago and it didn't work. I said, It didn't work two weeks ago and it didn't work this morning, but right now I guarantee that valve's working. How do you know it's working? I said, because the word says it is. Now, this is what will put you to the test. As a nurse, mama, and a mama, this will put you to the test, right? Yeah. This is your child or your grandbaby, which is even worse. Yes, yes. That's why they call them grandbabies, see? And I said, Toby, feed her. He said, Thurman, you are crazy. Two weeks ago, the doctor said that thing didn't work a lick, hadn't worked a lick in 10 months, and you're telling me this morning it works? I said, yes. He said, Thurman, I can't do it. I said, Toby, look, when you walked in that hospital room, doctors told you she wasn't going to live. He said, that's what they said. I said, did she live? Yes. I said, the doctor said she was never going to breathe. I said, did she breathe? The doctor said she's never going to cough. Did she cough? doctor said she's never going to walk. I said, she's running and playing? Yes. I said, everything the doctor said she would never do, I told you the Word of God said what happen, And so far, every one of those things has happened. Everything was impossible with men, and God has come through on every one. Don't you think it's time you trust him now for the valve in the throat? He said, okay. So he went over. I said, get some. You got something to eat? He said, I got a little bowl of applesauce and a little bottle of orange juice. I said, get it. He got some apple juice. And I mean, some orange juice and some applesauce, and he put it in a bowl. And I said, Caitlin, honey, she was in the bedroom playing. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She come running in there. I said, jump up in that chair and eat that bowl of applesauce for granddaddy. She had a bite to eat with a spoon in 10 months. She obeys granddaddy. She jumps up and sits down that chair and starts putting that stuff in her throat. Can you only imagine the anxiety in what's going on? I don't care what anybody says. You know, that anxiety is there. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong, Sharon? She's healed. And she ate that whole bowl of applesauce and drank about half that little bottle of orange juice. And that little girl had been eating and drinking perfectly normal ever since that day. Today she's eight years old. Do you see why it's so difficult to walk by faith? It's your body, yourself. And the doctor says, this is never going to work again. And you say, Lord, I repent of all of my sins. And I'm now standing on that verse. And I'm now going to eat this sandwich. And the doctor says, you eat that sandwich, you're going to die. And you say, Lord. I have repented. I know I had sinned that's brought this problem upon me. I have repented, and i make you a promise. I'll never do that again. I will walk holy in obedience to your word. Now, you better mean what you say. You better be serious with God, because he's serious with you. And if you're serious with him, then you said, Now, Lord, that word says all I got to do, I need my intestines to work perfect so I can eat again. I believe you have healed me and restored me. Now I'm going to eat this sandwich in Jesus' name. And I've seen that happen before too. I've seen people do that. sit there and eat a sandwich that before couldn't have eat a bite of food. Hey, that word really does work. Is that an awesome promise? Who'd he make that to? To us. Us. Now then, if you... If you're obedient to God and you pray these prayers of faith, he will honor those prayers of faith. Now, if you don't have faith, you know, if you're wavering, you know, now he don't like that. Don't waver. Because you, I've seen many a time a person come and say, well, I believe that you pray for me. I know I'm healed. Okay, I pray for them. They walk out that door and somebody come in and say, well... that lady out there, she's really confused. I said, what do you mean? She said, she'll walk in and out. I said, well, I had him pray for me. And I sure hope God shows up because if he don't, I'm in big trouble. Did she believe? No, she didn't believe. So he ain't going to show up. He is a faith God. He demands you believe it. If he made a promise in this book, he means for you to believe it. If he told you not to sin, he meant that. If he says, repent, I'll forgive you. He meant that too. Now then, before we take this quick break... We're going to take up an offering. Now, if y'all want to uh, give us an offering for our ministry, this is how we give away all this free stuff back here because it does cost money to do all this stuff. If you want to give a ministry, a donation to our ministry now, if you want to give a check, you can write to TLSM. If you need an envelope, we'll give you one. Or if you don't want to give nothing now and you want to give something later, we've got envelopes over there and a box over there. And if you don't want to give at all, that's okay too. You know, it's totally up to you because we don't, beg or nothing for money we just say god this is his ministry if you want to give this ministry that's fine if you don't that's fine too but if you since we don't require money for anything no restoration, no tapes or nothing because we want everybody to be able to receive the information so we give away everything you can give away i mean you can get all the free cds dvds whatever you want while you're here take them give them to your friends we don't keep record of what you take or how many you take, or nothing, and we don't require a single gift for them. You just take what you want and be blessed. Now, we're going to take up this offering. We're going to pray over this. If you want a record of, your, if you give cash and you want a record, if you give a check, all you got to do is have your information on the check. We will send you a tax-deductible uh, receipt at the end of the year. Cheryl and I have got to do that here in the next week. We've got to start that for the 2005. That always takes us about three weeks to do that to get everybody, find everybody, and get the receipts to them. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless the gift and the giver, because, Lord, this is your ministry, so we ask you to bless the people. You know their hearts, and, Lord, if they're able to give, we ask you to bless them. If they're not able to give, Lord, bless them anyway. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we pass the little things around, and we after we take up the offering, you're free. we got two bathrooms over here. One of them says men, one says women, but, you know, it makes no difference. Uh, the women will use the women's and the men will use the men's until one's not empty, I mean full, and then it will make a difference. If there's two or three women standing there, no men just go in there. the door locks. And so I only got two bathrooms. That's one thing Cheryl said. When we build our own church, we're going to put plenty of bathrooms <laughs> in our own church when we build it because we don't have enough bathrooms. <clears throat> in fact, we're adding three bathrooms right now just to the ministry center out there because we don't have enough bathrooms but we are in that process right now of adding three additional bathrooms it's ready to get started here as soon as you get your uh, seats taken and like I say it one more time let you know that the reason I give away my information is because I used to go to seminars you know, uh, I have gone to them before and seen people that were there that really needed the information and they didn't have the money to pay for it. And so, you know, I thought uh, there were seminars I'd went to before when, of course, me as an engineer, I always was blessed with a, a little bit of money. And I'd be somewhere and I'd see somebody that was sick or afflicted or poor or whatever, and I'd see them meditating over some guy's stuff, but it cost $39 and Uh, They was drooling over it, and I said, you really need that? No, I'd love to have that, but I can't afford it. I said, well, you take it. I'll buy it for you. And uh, I've done that a few times, and then I thought when the Lord put me in the ministry, I said, the people who come to my ministry are not going to have that problem. I'm not going to sell nothing. I'm going to give everything away. And if it's God, then somebody that's got money is going to give to the ministry, and I ain't going to have to worry about it. And that's what he's done. I mean, he has done that. I'm telling you, the ministry this year, every year, our ministry in the amount of stuff that we passed out. The first year I started, and then the second year, the amount of stuff we give away tripled. It tripled. Well, this year it tripled again. You know, so, uh, in fact, here this last year I had uh, my two, t- or not my two, I had, uh, I, have, uh, I had five, now I've got seven of these uh, tape duplicators that'll make four tapes at a time. So, and I got seven DVD d- towers and CD towers that'll make, uh, they make seven, yeah, seven. They make a master and seven. So we can make 49 DVDs or 49 CDs at a time, you know, uh, there. And, of course, that equipment costs lots of money, you know. So, uh here this last year my tapes uh, one of the ladies that worked with me she monitors all that stuff and she said the quality of our tapes are going downhill and some of them's really getting bad and I said well okay I thought these machines were supposed to make you know 25,000 you know tapes a machine before they had any problems so uh, I took them back over where I bought them and I said you know I want y'all to check these for me and the guy did he said all your heads are wore completely out I said, well, wow, I thought that was supposed to last longer than it. So they went in and done the check, and the lady came back. She said, well, we have only sold you 140,000 tapes since you bought the machines. And I thought, 140,000 tapes? And I gave all them away. You know, so it's amazing, you know, as well as the CDs, DVDs, and cassettes and everything. But we have given away, I don't even know how many, but we give away thousands, literally thousands of them. And this year, I mean, the first year, I closed in the black just a little bit. The second year, I closed in the black a little bit more. And this year, we closed in the black with more money in the bank than we've ever had in our life in the ministry. So, you know, yep, thank you, Lord. Yeah, so, uh, in fact, God is uh, so good to us. And uh, I thought to myself, uh, we just came back from GLC, and, of course, they run a television network, and we're now on television, and and, uh, Al, owner of it, he told me yesterday when we were sitting there having dinner, he said, we're going into all the world, and he said, these satellites we now got covers all parts of, many parts of Europe, the whole United States, and he said, it won't be long till we'll be on the whole world, and he said, you're going with us, you know, and so I thought, wow, you know, we're... Uh, Who dreamed to know what God would do? And so I thought to myself, well, uh, uh, I have given them. Every time we go out there, I usually donate several thousand dollars to their ministry. But after seeing what's going on, this time when we come back, I thought, well, I'm going to send them the biggest gift since I've got the most money in the bank this year that I've ever had. And also the other day I had... uh, was blessed uh, the well, they drug a gas well on my place, and uh, I got uh, twenty one thousand five hundred dollars uh, of that from that gas well, so I turned around and put ten thousand of that into the ministry, so you know just nearly half of it right back into the ministry and I thought well i'm going to send them a pretty nice check you know because they make those shows. And, of course, at first they paid for our airfares after, and I told Cheryl this. I said, honey, forget it. We just buy the airplane tickets and forget it. Don't send them the bill. You know, we just pay for it. They paid for our hotel bill, and, and they took us to dinner every time we was out there, every, every meal, or and bought our meals and everything. So I said, gee, we get back, I'm just going to write them a big, nice check and send it to them because it costs money to run a television network with a satellite. They're on three Satellites, and so one of the satellites costs twelve thousand a month, and the other two cost fifteen thousand a month. You know, that's a pretty big bill. So, anyway, we're going to help support GLC uh, because they're doing a great work. So, when we get extra money, that's what we do with it. You know, we send it, excuse me, to these ministries because just like Sid Roth, uh, I think that's where you said you saw me on the first time. Uh, Sid, he he so inspired my heart. This guy is on fire for Jesus. I'm telling you, I've sat across the table with him, talked to him. I've been on radio shows with him. This guy loves Jesus, and he is Jesus 24/7. So last year, I think I think our ministry sent their ministry eight or ten thousand dollars. You know, we we sent them a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars every time we could, but. I think we donated about eight or 10000 to his ministry, yes, last year from our ministry. But that's how you keep these things going. You know, you can't take money and hoard it up. You've got to keep it going. You know, so when God blesses us with something, he, we really uh, take the money. And of course, when I need extra money like this last year, I didn't have the money in the bank. I had a little money in the bank, but I didn't have enough to do what I needed to do. I needed to uh, invest, I needed to duplicate. More video tapes, and that's before the DVD stuff we got all that, and we were giving away lots and lots of VHS tapes. Well, to keep up, I needed 135 VCRs running at the same time, 135. Now, it takes a lot of space. takes a lot of distribution amplifiers. Of course, as an engineer, it makes it a lot easier for a guy like me to hook all that stuff up because I can do that. But still, if you got a six-hour video or a four-hour video, which a lot of ours are, it took four hours to duplicate it. So you put 135 tapes in these things, and you hit record. and four hours or six hours later, you got 135 tapes. Well, you can give away 135 tapes a whole lot faster than you can make them. You know, a whole lot faster than you can make them. And so I, I mean, I, I was, you know, I needed, I had 35, and I needed 100 more. And so I thought, well, okay. I said, Lord, this is your business. And you know I need this, but to get 100 VCRs with the distribution amplifiers and the monitors and everything I need, I've got to have 10000 minimum to do this. I said, Lord, you know me. I ain't going to go ask nobody for that money. But I ain't got $10,000 in the bank. But I need 10000 to do this. So I said, Lord, I ask you to give me the $10,000 I need to buy all of these VCRs and all these distribution amplifiers so I can make these tapes and give them away. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Well, at that time... Uh, a little over a year ago, i uh, go to the post office, and every day I'd get three to five envelopes, you know, and sometimes people get $25, some give 50 some give 100 or whatever. But they would send money back for the tapes and stuff. And so I thought, well, you know, $10,000 is a lot, so I won't go to the post office for three or four days. And then maybe I'll have several, and then it'll look better. So I waited several days... And uh, I went to the post office and I opened a box and there was one letter in the post office. You only one. I mean, on normal days I get three or four, but now I prayed and asked God for ten thousand, and I go there and there's one in three or four days. I said, "Well, Lord, it's your ministry. It's it's yours." So I said. Pulled the envelope, looked at it, ripped it open, had one check in it, and it had one number on it, $10,000. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> wow. I took it, recorded it, took it, put it in the bank, and went and bought all the stuff, and wrote a check, and paid for everything, and I'm back down to zero again. <laughs> but at least that's the way it works. God blesses us. He takes care of us, and, and just like those recorders, whenever those recorders all went bad, and I said, well, you know, whatever it takes, I said... I forget how much it was going to cost to fix those, but those heads were like a hundred and seventy-five dollars a piece, and there's four in every machine. Anyway, I forget what it was going to cost total, but there was five of those machines. I think it was—I think the total cost was going to be four thousand or something dollars to fix them all, whatever it was. And so, Bye, bye-bye, and Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I said, uh, oh, that's okay. Whatever it costs, I got to have them. I said, I know God will provide the money, even though it's $4,000. I know he'll provide for all them tapes because I give away all the stuff. And God says, give, and it shall be given unto you. So I said, no problem. I said, go ahead and fix them. I know God will have the money ready whenever I need to pay for it. So uh, about a week later, they called and said, well, we got good news, and we got bad news, and we got good news. I said, what's that? They said, well, sure enough, every head had to be replaced. That's the bad news. I said, what's the good news? The good news is we know you're Jesus 24-7, so we replaced them all for free. <laughs> you can't be blessed any better than that, can you, Sharon? When God says, give, and it shall be given unto you, does he take care of you? Man, does he take care of us. We are so grateful, and that's why we can make all these things by the hundreds and thousands and give them back to you, and you can take them out in a sack full and Give them to your friends. And, and then like the little girl in San Antonio, said, a friend that came to, of hers that came to the healing school here, and her husband had prostate cancer, and he got healed. And whenever the, the friend heard about her friend, this little girl had all these problems, she brought some of my tapes over or CDs and gave them to her and said, you've got to listen to these. said, we got these in Dallas at a healing school. And this little girl goes to church, great Christian girl. She said, "But our church never sees a miracle, or never even talks about healing." Said, "I didn't even know it was available." <laughs> but after listening to a few of my tapes, she said she was crying. She said, "I will never be the same." She said, "I listened to you teach God's word, and I went to my Bible, and what you said was what was written in my Bible." So she said, "I now know I have been cheated." And she said, I now know that devil cheated me. And she said, I now know that I'm healed. She said, you pray for me, and I know I'm healed. Well, let me tell you, with that kind of faith, she's healed. So that's the way it works. Anyway, let's start over again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful that you're the king of the universe and that you're God. And we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the healer. You're the savior. You're the deliverer, but you're God. And, Lord, thank you that you've given us, your children, all things. Now, bless us this afternoon as we read your word and study it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now then, you wonder, people say, I used to ask this question myself, is it God's will to heal people? You know, I mean, does he he still do those things? He used to do those things. I mean, it's obvious when we read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus healed. I mean, every time everybody come to him, he healed them. He had compassion for them. And even over at Nazareth, when he went on over to his own hometown, he went over there to heal them. And there he, Jesus, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power without measure, could do no mighty works because of why? The unbelief. Their unbelief. And he said, and he marveled because of their unbelief. What is it that keeps us receiving from God? Uh-huh. Unbelief. Absolutely right. The promises of God. When you get a hold of that, when I got rid of my unbelief and started believing God and believed that he was a healer and that he was able to keep me in divine health, I have been able in the last 20 plus years to walk in divine health. Not one sick day. Wow. Is that awesome to take that out of your vocabulary? I ain't going to wake up sick tomorrow because Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease. Now, it, it has some maintenance on my part. What have I got to do? I got to walk in obedience to his word. I got to walk in love. I got to treat everybody with love and respect. I can't get off on a tangent. I can't start grumbling and complaining about that. Every once in a while, Cheryl has to tap me on the shoulder and say, that sounds a little bit like grumbling. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. You know, every once in a while, when things get to going and it's three o'clock in the morning, you say, I've had it. I'm going to house. I can't stand it. Whoop. Tap, tap, that sounds a little bit like grumbling. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm tired of just going home. I'm going to get some rest. When he says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining, do you think he meant that? Yes. Yes, he did. So if you don't do all things without grumbling and complaining, it will open a door to the demonic world. And Satan will come to your house and he will make your life miserable. We have seen that many times. And a lot of people that were sick and afflicted, that were down with all kinds of problems, it was because they were constantly grumbling and complaining. I had several people in my life that when they repented, Lord, I'm sorry, I won't never grumble again. Bam. Didn't even have to pray for them. They got healed. Isn't that amazing? It's, I mean, God's Word means what it says. I mean, he is, He's just so awesome. He he definitely is the healer and he plans for us to walk in divine health. Now then let's just read some of these things and let's start out here with Matthew eighteen sixteen. In Matthew eighteen sixteen it says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouths of two or three witnesses every word may be established. You don't never build a doctrine from God's word on one line or one verse. You always find more than one thing to confirm what you want. So let's look at several scriptures here that confirm what God's will is for us as far as salvation and healing. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Now then, think about this. This is so clear in Isaiah 53, verse 4. says, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now then, in the Hebrew... Those two words, grief and sorrows, means pain and sickness. Now, almost everywhere else, the two words that are used in the Hebrew, right there, are translated pain and sickness. But here, they're translated grief and sorrows. So that's what happens. And some of you may have uh, uh, the translations that's got the center deal in the middle or on the edge or something that may show you all these extra things. But in Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, that was written over 700 years before Christ came to fulfill that. The prophet Isaiah told you what he was going to do, what this magnificent Son of God was going to do. Now then, there is a uh, doctor, uh, Lessler that was a translator of the Hebrew Bible and for the Orthodox Jews. And this is the way he wrote these scriptures. He said... Our diseases did he bear himself, and our pains he carried, while we indeed esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. He said, when you really take the Hebrew and put it together, that's the way it... What, oh, what did I do with my mic? Here it is right here. I was looking for it. So I could get your question.
3: Uh, <clears throat> when my husband passed away, um, and I was very, you know, much at a loss and and had uh, grief but the Lord used this because this is the verse he brought to my mind that he took our grief and carried our sorrows and he did that for me and I said Lord I just receive that you're taking my grief and carrying my sorrow even though it may not be the right (laughs) translation as you're saying I believe both (laughs) of them
0: well the thing about it is the thing about it is the word of God is alive. You know, that's the difference about this book. This book is alive. I mean, you can take this book and you can take the context of the Bible in a certain scripture and you can read it and it'll say something to you, and there'll come a day when you'll have a special need and your eyes will fall on the center of what one word in that, and he'll give you a whole new meaning. For that whole thing, and He'll meet whatever your need is because He's alive. Yes. It's alive. The Word of God is alive, you know, and He can meet your needs right there. So that's the beautiful part about God's Word. And that's the beautiful part about what I have the privilege to do, and you have the privilege to do. We are serving a living God that's alive, He's not dead. So whenever I take these scriptures and I teach these things, And for those of you that lock on to them and receive them, many of you will take these and go out and either get healed yourself or you'll go somewhere and you'll act on these scriptures and God will do the same thing for you. He does for me. I mean, wow. I mean, I think about that couple. I was up in Baltimore several years ago and there was a pastor and his wife there, a young pastor and his wife. They had a, I think, a 19 or 20 year old son. And, of course, I told the story about Caitlin when I was there because it was real fresh at that time and uh, told it in its entirety and how I did it and how I stood on God's word and everything. And after I left there, that was so powerfully inset in them that about two weeks later, their son, his pickup slipped across a uh, rain-slick highway, and he ran head into somebody else. And when they carried him to the hospital, they said he can't live. I forget what all was broken the legs, I forget what, all kinds of stuff, and they walked in there saying, no, our God, we don't believe what you say. We don't care if you've done the test. Our God made us these promises in the name of Jesus. Our God's going to raise up our son, and he's going to walk out of this hospital, and he's going to be a supernatural boy in Jesus' name. And in two days, that boy walked out of that hospital by himself. I mean to tell you, they wrote me a letter, and he said, I am so glad I was there that day and heard you tell that story about Caitlin, because he said, Whenever my son had that wreck, two weeks later, when I walked in there, if I hadn't have been empowered with what you had said, he said, I guarantee I'd have been a normal pastor and I'd have said, oh God, where are you? Lord, why? And he said, I know I would have lost my son because they said he ain't going to live. But he said, I said, no, I know another man. They said his granddaughter wasn't going to live and said today she's alive. He said, I ain't taking this. He said, Lord, you made me the same promises you made Thurman. And I'm walking in obedience to your words. I'm standing on your word. And the king of the universe did the same thing for him. He did for Caitlin. Brought that boy out of that hospital. In two days, he walked out on his own. Hey, after all, who are we serving? The king of the universe. He's God. You know, he's the one that spoke and the worlds came into existence. How big is your Jesus? You got him in a box like I had. Or is he a great big God? He's a great big mighty God. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Wow. And nothing is impossible with God. When you get a hold of that, you don't ever fear nothing, do you, brother? No, you have no fear of nothing. You know, I mean, let's think about how big is your God. Let's just say that right now. I mean, I heard this. I don't know if this was real or a joke. But they said that the other day there was a church of about 3,000. And they were all up there worshiping, praising, jumping, dancing, and doing all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, three hooded men come walking in with... But automatic weapons and got up, jumped up. On their people started screaming. They said, "Now then, if there's anybody in this place willing to take a bullet for Jesus, you stay in here. But the rest of you that's not willing to do it, we're going to let you give you one chance to run out the back door and get out of here." Oh. And said, "Everybody but 20 people left. Oh. 20 people stayed, and the pastor stayed. Oh. The pastor stayed, and 20 people. And when it was all over." And they looked and they put, took their hoods off and they said, Okay, Pastor, you can preach to these. These are real. <laughs> what a way to be tested, huh? What a way to be tested. That's kind of sad that we would do that, isn't it? But let's think about that. Think about the three Hebrew children in the Bible. You know, when Nebuchadnezzar said, Everybody's got to bow down and worship my golden idol. These boys said, well, you ain't going to bow down and worship that golden idol. He said, I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't bow down and worship my golden idol, I'm going to throw you and you and you into a fiery burning furnace. And I'm going to heat that furnace seven times hotter. And they said, that's okay, king, if it be so, that you throw us in the furnace the God we serve is well able and he will deliver us through that fire. Do you hear any faith in that statement? Yes. I hear a very positive statement of faith in that statement those boys made. And then they said, but if not, and that's been the most misinterpreted scripture I have ever seen in my life. People says, but see, he said, but if not, but if not, he don't deliver us. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, but if not, you don't throw us in the furnace. We still will not bow down and worship your God. Because let me tell you, if he throws them in the furnace and God don't show up, what's going to be left to bow down and worship? Nothing. They're going to be a crispy critter. Is that right? Ain't going to be nothing left but ashes, right? Ain't going to be nothing to bow down. No, that's not what they were talking about at all. They were talking about, if you do not throw us in the furnace, we still will not bow down and worship your God. You know, whether you throw us in that furnace or not, we ain't going to do it. He said, well, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. They said, that's okay. The God we serve is well able and he will deliver us through that fire. Now, what kind of faith does it take to stand with a declaration like that? It takes real faith. It takes the same kind of faith when this little tiny ruddy uh, kid Comes up there, and here's the army of Israel out there, and here's a 10-foot tall giant over there. And David says, what's going on? And they said, well, do you see that guy? He's going to murder us. David said, what do you mean? That uncircumcised Philistine? What's he doing out there making fun of our God? Let me at him. A little kid, ain't even got a gun, got a slingshot. He said, let me get five smooth stones here. Saul said, you can't go out and let me put my armor on you. Put his armor on. Paul, I mean, David can't even get up. He said, I can't fight with this stuff on. Throw this stuff away. Let me have my rock. I'll have your head. I'll cut your head off today. I'll feed your head to the birds. What do you mean coming against the God of Israel? I come against you with the word of God and the God of Israel. And he's got nothing but a little old slingshot. Well, yeah, but I've read the Bible ten times and there ain't no such verse in there. I said, well, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and read verse 20 and see what it says. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Somebody turn over there and read 2 Corinthians 1.20. And when you get over there, I'll, I'm going to take this microphone and I want somebody to read 2 Corinthians 1.20. You got it? I got it. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him. Amen. Now, wait a minute. How many? All. Now, what is it we don't understand about all? For all? You did say all, didn't you? Yes. You wasn't just putting that in there. That is written no. in the Word. It's in there. It's in there. there. You're reading it in yours too, huh? For all the promises of God are yes and amen. If you're in Christ, well, are you in Christ? You're a believer in Jesus?
1: Amen. Oh, yes.
0: You are? How many of His promises are yes to you, young lady? All. Oh, how many of them are yes to you, sir? Oh, isn't that awesome? So guess what? If we walk in obedience to His Word and do what He says, He's just like any other father. If a child comes and asks Daddy for something, you got any children, sir? You, you know, no, any, who in here has got children? Over here? Okay. Any of you got children? If your children come to you and have been totally obedient... And they ask you for something, will you give them anything you got? Yeah. Well, sure you will. So, see, God is no different if we are obedient and walk in love, like he said. Then he says, come and ask me for anything, and I will do it for you. You reckon he really meant that? Oh, yeah, he really meant that. This young man right here just read, and this young lady right here said her said the same thing. All the promises of God, if you're in Christ, are yes and amen. It, does that, did anybody else's Bible read like that? Your Bible reads like that. So how many of God's promises are yes? All of them. Isn't that wonderful? That that verse there, when I read that, the first time I read that, I thought, you know, the old devil was working on me. said, you know, he doesn't really mean that. And I thought, well, if he doesn't mean it, pray tell, what does he mean? That's just like the first time when I got hold of Matthew eighteen nineteen. Now, especially after... I, I used it. I didn't use it at first. I, I, I talked to several different pastors and doctors of theology about Matthew eighteen nineteen. What does he mean? Well, there's been 30 minutes explaining away what God says. One day I said, Lord, I don't know whether I'm just crazy or I don't know whether I'm too simple. But one of us is not, is not reading this book right. You said if two of us on earth agree about anything, you'll do it for us. So I said, Lord, if you didn't mean that, then why in the world didn't you put in your book what you meant instead of something else? I said, you know, these guys are talking to me. They're spending uh, 30 minutes using all kinds of big words. And I said, you taught me how to read. I said, Lord, I believe you mean what you say. So I tried it out the first time on Philip with all the warts and all the scars. Yep, that's the first time I tried that out. And I come in and I said, I guarantee you God's going to do what he said. He's going to take them warts and scars off. Because he said it. And guess what? He did it. He took all of Philip's warts and scars off. Oh, I know what it was. It was the... Delayed reaction of the medicine his mother had put on him five years before that took him off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, you don't, you don't buy that, huh? No, no. And, and, of course, them scars, you know, the medicine takes scars off too, doesn't it? No, oh, it don't do that. No. As a nurse, no. medicine don't take off scars, does it? No. But God can, can't he? Yeah. Did you see any scars on Philip Pollock when he was up here? No. Woo! Is he a handsome young man or is he a handsome young man? Does God do good work? Yes, He does good work. I told His beautiful little wife, Krista. I said, Krista, you know, when you looked at Philip the first time, and if, what if it had big old ugly scars, all warts, all over his face, big old warts sticking out of his nose, and all over his lip, and I said, would you want to kiss that? She said, ooh, no. I said, well, that's what He used to look like. That's what He used to look like. I said, but he don't look like that no more, does he? She said, no, he don't look like that no more. And aren't we glad that we know Jesus? Because of Jesus, that's why he don't look like that. And of course, you know, the scars. Even his grandmother, she was, I believe she was a nurse or something or whatever. And when she first come to Sawfield, he said, she says, son, what happened to your warts? Well, Grandma, a deacon from the church come over and prayed over me and God took them off. Oh, come on now, Philip, Come on, you know. you had to be the medicine or something that took them off. No, Grandma, look, even the scars went away. Uh-oh. Different story now. Even Grandma, as a nurse, just like you, knows that medicine don't take off scars. Is God wonderful or is he awesome? See, if he'll do these kind of things for me, and he's no respecter of persons. Who will he do them for? All of us, All of us sure. All you got to do is do what he says. Now then, <clears throat> we go on down to Matthew eight seventeen. After we read what we did in, in uh, uh, Isaiah fifty three four and five, in Matthew eight seventeen, I want you to think about what the Scripture says. In Matthew eight sixteen, it says, "When evening was come, they brought to him many that were what was wrong with them." In Matthew eight sixteen. I'll you get over there to Matthew 8, 16. They brought to him many that were what? Demon-possessed. Demon possessed. Demons. Now, just think. Now, wait a minute. Back in those days, the people had demons. But today, in age that we live today, couldn't be no demons here today, could there? <laughs> Let me tell you, them same demons that's here today that was here when Jesus was here. The same group of Demons. Who made the demons? God did. All things were made by him and for him and for his purpose. So if Satan is here, Satan was made by God and his demons were made by God and they're made for his purpose because he said so. Now, what in the world could he possibly use a being like the devil for? First of all, can God do anything bad to you? No, he's all good. He's all love. So if he's all good and he's all love, he can spank you if you do something wrong. But if he's got a host of critters over here that he made, that was perfect when he first made them, but they turned evil and wicked when greed came into their heart, now then, they have no love for you. And their whole purpose is to kill, to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so since God made a set of rules, he now tells us, and it took me a long time in Matthew and I mean in Romans 13 to see this but there's two sets of authorities in Romans 13 one of them is the physical authorities on earth and the other one is the spiritual authorities and when you see that you realize he said I made laws on the earth and I put these principalities and powers in charge and you're to be afraid of them now let's put it this way If you were driving down here today and you were on the freeway and the speed limit was 60 and you were driving 75 and you come over a hill and there was a police officer, did your heart skip a beat? Why? Because you knew you were in error. You knew you'd transgress the law and if that guy happened to be pointing that radar at you, he's going to get you and you may have a $100 ticket. You knew you were in sin. You felt real comfortable until you saw him. And then you were afraid. You were in fear. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But if you top that hill and the speed of at 60 and you had your cruise control set right on 60, no problem, right? No problem no problem. 60. Just go right on because you know you're totally within the confines of the law. Well, now, see, this is the reason God made Satan and his host of demons. Because he made a set of rules and he told you and me, he said, you walk in my love. And you, he said, if you keep yourself from sin. In fact, I want you to turn while I'm right here. I had a woman tell me one time, turn to uh, 1 John 5. I had a woman one time listen to one of my tapes. and She said, when you made this statement in 1 John 5, I stopped the tape and said, there is no way. That guy is totally in error. That can't be what that says. I've read that book many times, and it don't say that. So she turned back over to 1 John 5, and guess what? It did say that. So she said, I do not know how I've missed that. I want you to turn to 1 John 5. And start with verse 14. Now, we'll actually, let's start on verse 13. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So, who did you write these things to? The Christians, the church. Yeah. Wrote these to us. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Then he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have in the Lord. If we ask... Ask what? Wow. I mean, he gave us no limitations, did he? And this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. Oh, okay, so we need to find out what is his will then. According to his will, and he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petition that we desired of him. Because how many times does his promise yes? Every time. Praise God! Absolutely right. Now he says. Now then, in verse sixteen, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, ooh, that's scary. Yeah. If you see your brother sin a sin that's not unto death, well, how do you know if he sin a sin unto death? What do you have? Anybody remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the Book of Acts? They had a little piece of land, and let's just say that uh, they made up a story that. Uh, uh, we're, we're going to sell this piece of land we're going to sell it for $50 but we're going to tell Peter in the church we got 30 for it and we're going to give it all to the Lord we're going to really be somebody so they make this up they sell the piece of land for $50 and they go down and says, Peter we sold our piece of land for $30 and we want to give every bit of it to the Lord Peter said you have made up this story you have lied to God You have not sold this piece of land for $30. Was not this piece of land yours? You didn't have to sell it. And when you did sell it, you could have sold it for whatever you wanted to, and you could have given God anything you wanted to. But you've lied to God, and you've said you sold it for $30. When you sold it for $50, now you've lied to God. Because of this lie, you're going to die. And bam, he fell dead right there. That scary?
3: Yes.
0: Very. Then three hours later, after the men had just buried him... They went right out dug a hole and throwed him in it and wrapped him up in a sheet and covered him up. Come right back in. His wife walked in. He said, Sapphire, did you and Ananias really sell that piece of land for $30? Yes, that's the price. You're going to give it all to God? Yes, that's the price. He said, you have lied too. And because you have lied, it's over. You're going to die. Bam, she fell dead. And it's still great fear fell upon the church. Ooh, Can you only imagine? Okay, folks, God said in his word, everybody is to tithe. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. So now then, if you made $500 this week, you owe God $50. First, come down. Here's the offering box right down here. Bring your tithe. Ask him how much money did you make this week? Well, I made $500. Okay, you owe God $50. Put it right there in that box. Come down. Put it in there. He walks back. Goes down his seat. Say, how much money did you make this week? I made $700. No problem. Got a good job. You owe God 70. No problem. Put my $70 in there. In fact, I'm going to put an extra 5 in there. I'm going to put 75 in there. I'm going to turn around and take one step and I'll fall dead. And somebody said, you know, I wondered what was going to happen because I know I paid him a $1,000 myself last week. I know he made more than $750. And he died. And they said, oh, oh, okay, we'll take him out then. You know, next how much money did you make this week wow. now how many after that's going to be truthful wow, everybody. everybody if I made $500 $300 or $3,000 I guarantee I'm going to tell the truth <laughs> isn't that amazing now then I see God says everybody is supposed to tithe he says if you don't tithe I will curse you with a curse you want to know why lots of people in the church got problems because they don't tithe. You know, it's like one day a lady was in church and, and they were getting ready to take up the offering. And she said, all of a sudden, angels appeared. I saw angels. And I thought, what is going Lord, what's going on? And he said, these are my angels that are keeping record for me. And this woman starts to give. And this angel's right up there, watch her. He's looking to see what she's writing. He said, what are they writing down? He said, they're writing down how much she's giving And the attitude of her heart, which she's giving it. Because I love a cheerful giver. So he said, those that give the tithe, and if they give it with a joyful heart, I will bless them. But if they give it, but don't give it with a joyful heart, they're not going to get no rewards. That's scary too, isn't it? We thank Lord. We wonder why we're not blessed in the church we don't do what God says, I'm telling you. But when we do what he says, he blesses our socks off. Now, he says, if any man sees his brother, sin a sin, which is not unto death. I mean, just think about that. He shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So obviously there is a sin unto death. What is it? We don't necessarily know, do we? We know that lying was a sin unto death back in the first church in Jerusalem for two people. But if lying was a sin every time, how many many of you would be here today? None of you. I guarantee every one of us have lied somewhere in our life. I don't care who you are. You have told a little white lie. I told a lie to my wife the other day. a brought a stopped up hand on me. I didn't even plan to do it. I didn't premeditate it, but it brought a stopped up head. And when I asked the Lord, Lord, what is wrong? He said, you lied to your wife. Of course, then when you go to Cheryl and say, honey, I lied to you. You well, got think, You lied to me? What did you? And then when I tell her what, it- oh, well, she said, that's nothing. Yeah. But to God, it was something. Yeah. So, see, God thinks a whole lot more about sin than we do. He means what he says. Now, then... He says, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. Is that what your Bible said? Mm -hmm. Did yours say there is a sin unto death and that you're not supposed to pray for a sin that's of sin unto death? So what is the secret here? Hey, that's exactly it, Sharon. I don't know. Why do you think God didn't say that this and this and this is a sin unto death? Because well, if he'd have told me this and this was a sin unto death, I'd have made sure I stayed away from them sins, wouldn't you, brother? Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't tell me. Yeah. He didn't tell me what they were. So how do we know? We don't know. And so what does that what should that tell us when it comes to sin? What should we do? Don't take the chance on picking the wrong one. <laughs> It'd be like taking a thirty eight revolver and putting one bullet in it, spin in the cylinder, and put it up and say, We're going to try it. Did you know that I was talking to a woman the other day. She had a son. He was playing Russian roulette with some kids, and he killed himself. Can you imagine anybody would be that dumb? Isn't that awesome? What a bunch of stupid kids will do. Put a live bullet in a chamber and spin it and then take, pull the gun back, put it in their head and pull the trigger and then laugh when it don't go off. Well, you were lucky that time, and another one does it. And when it comes his time, it went off and it blew his head off it killed him who do you think was there inspiring them to do that our good old buddy the devil it certainly wasn't god them kids that they were totally controlled by the demons of hell and that's what satan comes to do to steal kill and to destroy but the lord says all verse 17 all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. And I am so glad. Verse 18, we know, we know that whosoever is born of God sins only a little bit once in a while. That's not what he said, was it? What did he say? Not supposed to sin at all, are we? That kind of puts something really on us, doesn't it? To realize that we as children of God are not supposed to sin at all. And then he says, But he that is begotten of God keeps himself. And that wicked one touches him not. Now, if you don't sin, what can the devil do to you? Can't touch you, can he? Is that good news? Should that be an inspiration to cause you not to sin? Absolutely. Now then... Does that mean the devil won't never come by your house and put you to the test? Oh, no. He'll come by and put you to the test. But when the devil comes by to try to put you to the test, when he does, if you have got no sin in your life, you can do exactly the same thing Jesus did. When the devil came to Jesus and tried to test him for those 40 days, what did Jesus do to the devil every time the devil said something to Jesus? He said, it is written. That's right, young lady. The Lord came back and he said, it is written, Satan. And did, Jesus, did the devil leave Jesus the first time he said it? No. So, the second time when he said it, he didn't leave then either, did he? And the third time, the devil started quoting the scripture. Is that dangerous? Yes. That means you better know the word. Because the third time, the devil says, it is written, Put yourself up on the temple and jump off. For it is written, he will send his angels and give them charge over you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And that is written in Psalm 91. The devil knows the word of God far better than you do, I can tell you for sure. He was quoting it. And Jesus said, Satan, it is also written. Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test, and you shall serve him only. He said, now get out. And when he finally commanded the devil to leave, the devil left him. But guess what he did? He left him till a more opportune time. Which means he's going to come back. So, like a lady come here one day and she said, Mr. Scherzner, I want you to pray a prayer for me that the devil won't never be able to touch me again. I said, ma'am, you would not like that prayer. And she said, well, if there is a prayer that you can pray where the devil can't never touch me again, I want you to pray it. I said, ma'am, you ain't going to like this prayer. She said, pray it. So I reached her and put my hand on her and said, Father, kill her in the name of Jesus. <laughs> that's what she said. Dude, no, I don't want to die. So that's the only way you can not have the devil come by to get you is to die. I told you you wouldn't like this. She said, no, no, I don't like this. I am not going to die. I said, okay, just gird up your loins and be ready to fight the devil when he comes because God's given you all power over him. And if you don't walk in sin, he has to flee from you. Because James 4, 7. James 4, 7. Jesus clearly said, submit yourself to the Lord and resist the devil and he'll do what? He will flee from you. So see, whenever any kind of depression comes upon you, any kind of pain, any kind of sickness starts coming upon you or anything, realize the devil is in your house don't yield to it i mean you we i was a dummy as a christian i was such a dummy so many years that whenever i can remember i used to have this problem i mean you know my back i mean i started out as a young man having back trouble well Every once in a while, my back would go out, or I'd do something, and I'd hear a little pop, or, oh, oh, my goodness gracious, or I'd pick up, reach over and pick up something like 40, 50 pounds, oh, oh, goodness gracious, and I couldn't move, couldn't bend. I'd have to go to the doctor, and I'd say, oh, my gosh, my back's gone out again, and oh, Lord, oh, this you know, you just can't believe what you say. Well, six or six, six times at least in my life, I was in the hospital, or for, at, on crutches or something, with, uh, for, uh, When I was in the military, I don't consider that being a hospital, but I was down to whatever. And uh, they put uh, me on a stretcher and did all kinds of things. I'd lay there for a week or whatever. And I'd finally get to where I could walk again, or I'd walk on crutches for a week or whatever. And I finally asked a doctor. I said, why is it that I have so much back trouble? Oh, he said, you're just a tall, slim people, and tall, slim people have back trouble. Okay, I bought that, you know, until one day I was in the office and there was a short, fat guy in there. And he was having back trouble, too. And I thought, this is not, if short, fat people have back trouble and tall, skinny people have back trouble, then it ain't tall, skinny people, it's people. And so, one day when I learned Jesus bore my pain, my sickness, gave me power and authority over the devil, and I received Jesus as my healer, I thought, hey, I'm not going to have any more troubles. So, I go along there for a few years and absolutely not a pain or nothing. Everything's going good. And then one day, I'm out there in my shop. I come around the corner, and when I turn, I hear my back, just like that. And, man, I fall over on my face, on the hood of my Dodge truck, and my back is just killing me. And if it had been a few years before, I'd have said, whoops, it's gone out again. Call 911. Got to go to the doctor. But this time, I just looked up and smiled. And I said, oh, it's just you, devil. You showed up again. You tried to knock my back out. I said, I'm a son of God. The word of God clearly says that you have to be subject to me. Now, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any means hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that those evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. How much power do you give me over them devils? And how, they have to be subject to who? Me. If, they, if I have been given all power by the king over these devils of hell, and they ain't going to hurt me, and they have to be subject to me, what am I going to do now? Confess I'm down with my back again? Absolutely never again. Oh, no, devil. Oh, no. So I start quoting all these verses. I come against the devil with, it is written. I said, Satan, it is written. I have power over you. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 says so. And then I begin to quote things like Matthew 8:17, where Jesus said, I have bore your sickness and I removed your disease. I said, if Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease, he didn't plan for me to be sick. He didn't plan for me to have no pain. If Isaiah 53, 4, he said he bore my pain and removed my sickness, and he don't plan for me to have no pain or no sickness. So I said, devil, I'm not sinning. You have no claim to me, and I ain't going there with you again. I've done it with you too many times. I said, Jesus told me I can cast you out. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and these signs shall follow them that believe. I said, devil, I'm a believing believer now. I was an unbelieving believer for a long time, but I'm a believing believer now. I said, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, you get out of my life. Get out of my back. I said, I'm going to stand up now, and I'm going to go do everything I wanted to do today. Because Jesus said in Mark 11:23, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to walk, and I'm going to do everything I wanted to do today, and I'm going to do it with no pain. I pushed myself up. And that devil twisted my back till beads of sweat popped out. And he said, you just see, you try to cast me out. I said, it is written. I said, I'm going to do it. And I took that first step and I was wavering. My back hurt so bad. I was wanting to fall on the floor and cry out, but I'm standing on the word. I said, no, no. I said, in the name of Jesus, I am healed. And I took that second step, and that devil's half gone. I took that third step, he's totally gone, and I ain't never had no back trouble since that day, Harley. You stand on the word. you resist the devil. You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil, and He says he will flee from you in terror. But let me tell you, that beast is not a pushover. He's going to put you to the test every way he can. And he don't never give up. He keeps coming back, and he keeps coming back. When, when I say I have never had any more back pain at all, I'll take that back. I, didn't, I had never had anything near like that. But last year, Cheryl and I had been married just three or four months, and I told that same story at a healing school one Saturday. And Sunday morning, I woke up about 8 o'clock, and I thought, well, I'll get up and take me a shower and get ready for church this afternoon, go get some things and I woke up and started to turn over and man there was that devil again I thought well I said you devil of hell I said you ain't doing this I kicked you out I said you ain't doing this to me no I said I ain't gonna never have no more back trouble it's over my back is healed and strong I crawled out of that bed and I walked into the bathroom I thought I'm gonna brush my teeth and I started to do this and I thought look that don't work I started to bend down, and he hit me right there. I said, oh, okay, devil. So I said, okay, in the name of you, you're out of here. But I went down like this. I squatted down like this, and I said, you might as well get out, you beast of hell, because you're not going to have me. And I washed my face, and everything dried off. And I said, you, I thought, well, I'm going to get that bath, that shower, and take me a shower. I said, you devil of hell, I'm telling you, it is written in the Word of God. And it took me about 30 or 40 minutes to kick him out. The next morning I woke up, guess what? The beast was back. Every day for about four days, when I woke up in the morning, he kept trying to get back in. But I kept resisting him with the word. And that time when he finally left, he has never come back. But if he ever does come back, you have to come against him with the word. You don't ever buy sickness and disease just because everybody else has sickness and disease. It's kind of like somebody telling you, well... I can't keep from getting speeding tickets because everybody else on the road is driving beyond the speed limit. So I'm just driving with the flow. Let me tell you how to not get a speeding ticket. Don't go with the flow. Y'all know where I'm coming from? If the law says drive 60, if everybody else is driving 70, does that mean you can drive 70? No. Let me ask you this question. If everybody else was walking up, putting their hand in the fire and burning their finger off, would you do it just because they are? No. no, I ain't that stupid. Are you? No, I don't care what the world's doing. I don't care what anybody's doing. I'm going to base my life around the Word of God. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you do, then you're going to get to walk where God wants you to walk. Now that He says there's a sin unto death, do you know what it is? No. So guess what? Don't sin. You don't ever have to worry about the sin unto death because you don't never know when you commit it. Now, I have, I have seen a few cases in the last 20 years of people that have committed the sin unto death. And God revealed it. And every time it was a different sin. And let me tell you one of them. And this will shock your socks off. One man, a Christian, good friend of mine, came down with brain tumors. They took him down to San Antonio, done surgery on him in mid-50s. He was the same age I was at the time and because he was one of my best friends in high school and they said, Except God intervene, he's going to die. Well, I took a day off and went down to the rest home. They sent him back to to die, and I spent all day praying over him and reading the word of God over him and driving devils out of him. And I left on Monday afternoon, and when I got back home uh, Thursday, they called me and said he died. But this this was the event when I walked into his room. When I walked in that day, I met a woman. I didn't know her. I said, who are you, ma'am? She said, I'm his wife. I said, well, I knew he was married twice before, but I didn't know if he'd been married after those two. I said, how long have you two been married? She said, 10 years. I said, have you been married before? No. My first marriage. I said, well, where do you all go to church? She told me. And then I asked this question, totally led by the Spirit of God. How many times have you been? I said, when she said they've been married 10 years, I said, how many times have you been to church? And she said, five or six. I assumed she meant this year. Five or six times this year. Because he used to be a Sunday school teacher and a youth leader and all that kind of stuff. You would think a man of God like that. You know, if he go, if it's in June, and he's only been to church five or six times, you wonder what's wrong with the guy, right? Because what the King tell us is, his children to do go to church five or six times a year. No, all the time we're supposed to be there. Well, they hadn't done that, and of course I told her when she, I said I can't believe y'all been to church five or six times this year. She said, Thurman, we've only been to church five or six times in the ten years we've been married. I said, what? She said, you see. I don't believe you have to go to church to serve God. Now, see, that's not what the Word says. I don't care what you say, woman. What you say don't line up with it is written. Well, you see, I don't believe that, and so I worship God, but we do it from home on Sunday. Okay. <clears throat> so, I pray with this guy all day long, and he still dies on Thursday. And on Sunday, after we bury him, on the way home, on the way home, I said, "Lord, I got to know, I got to know what happened in this case. You put me in the healing ministry, and I want to know what happened to this man. I want to know why this man died." I went over and I prayed over him. I did everything I knew to do, and Lord, he died. You promised me if I'd cast the demons out and lay hands on him, he'd get well. But I said, "Lord, he didn't get well." Now then, you also said you don't hear the prayer of a sinner. So did I do something wrong? What did I do? Because anytime you don't get healed, it's not God's fault. It's yours. It's never his. So anyway, I asked him that question over and over for two and a half hours before he finally answered. I was almost back home when he finally said, no, son, the problem was not yours. You did not sin. He said, the problem was his. And he said, the answer to your question is is in John fifteen two. Well, at that time I didn't have John fifteen two committed to memory. So I run over to the side of the road, stopped, opened my Bible, and I read John fifteen two. It might be interesting to know what that says. John fifteen two in my Bible reads something like this I am the vine and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. Is that what your Bible says? Now that if you're a Christian, you're not producing fruit for the kingdom. You're treading on thin ice. And it could be a sin unto death. Because for him, it was. I did everything I knew to do for that boy that day. But it did not bring forth healing to his body. The Lord had given that man ten years to bring forth fruit. And he had brought forth no fruit. And what does he say he'll do to you if, if you bring forth no fruit? Cut you, cut your, you know what it means to cut you off? Take you out. Take you out. But you know, that's not what he, all he said there too. The rest of that verse says, but them that produce fruit, what I do to them? Fruit. Oh, It hurts any way you look at it. You're going to snip off a little here and a little there. He's going to prune your your branches so you'll be a little... Let's stick out an arm here. Let me cut off a finger here or something. Let me prune you a little bit so you'll be a little more fruitful. If you're out there doing good things, he said, Well, I've got to prune you once in a while. Let me tell you, you don't like it when the pruning falls on you. I've been pruned a few times. I've really been pruned a few times. I don't like it. But guess what? I don't belong to me. This branch belongs to the king. He bought it and paid for it. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. The price of the only begotten son of God. So he does what he wants to with this piece of flesh or this branch. As long as I make it produce fruit. If I'm out there working, doing what he told me. Then it'll bring forth fruit. If it don't bring forth fruit, it can be a sin unto death. How many men do you know that say are Christians? That don't take their wife to church and teach their children the Word of God? That say they're Christians. You know any of them like that? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, my wife goes to church. She takes the kids. I got to work on Sunday. That's my only day off, so I have to go to the lake. I have to enjoy my new boat. Well, I hope you enjoy that boat. Because where you go, where you're going, there may not be no water. (laughs) That would be scary too, wouldn't it? There are some scary scriptures when you really read the Word of God. You want to know why there's so much sickness and disease in the church? It's all because of sin. You want to know why some people are super blessed? Because they're obedient. Yeah. I mean, that's just like these two girls up in, the, uh, up in the north. I forget now exactly what the name of the town was. I went up there to preach here two or three years ago, and I met these two women, two two really pretty women. After church was over, they came by a man that was there. He invited us over to his home. We went over there. We was over there praying over his daughter and, and some other people. And these two nice-looking, probably 40-year-old women walked in off the street they were neighbors of his down the street. When they walked in, well, I met them, got talking to them. I said, "Are you girls Christians?" Well, yeah. And I said, "Well, good. Where do y'all go to church?" One of them said, "Well, I go to a certain church." And the other one said, "I don't go." I said, "I thought y'all said you were Christians." She said, "Well, I am, but you don't have to go to church." I said, "Oh, yes, you do." The other one says, "Well, I go, but I don't go very often." I said, would you girls tell me about your medical history? Medical history? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you been in the hospital? How many times have you had surgery? Well, what, what makes you think we have had that? I said, if your children are God and you're disobedient, the devil, he's going to get you. I said, I know you've had problems. Well, one of the girls said, well, I've had my shoulder operated on and had a real bad problem and they had to go in there and put bolts in it to screw it, but said, I, I can use it, but I can't pick it up any higher than about this high. And, wow, well, I got an eyelash in my eye. I'll get it out in a minute. But anyway, as we were talking, I said, uh, How about you, young lady? And the other one, she said, Well, the ones that didn't go to church at all? She said, I've had three surgeries on my back, and last time they put two steel rods in my back. And she said, I'm in such pain, I can't hardly sit down so I can walk, but I take little bitty steps and I can bend over. I said, how far can you bend over? She said, just about this far. This is it. I said, okay. I said, if you girls were to repent of your sins and make God a promise that you'd go to church and serve him. You know, I said, I believe with all my heart he would heal both of y'all. They looked at me kind of strange and the one had the problem with her arm. I said, how would you like? To be healed, where you can raise your arms straight up. She said, well, I would love it. I said, "We well, have got to repent first. I said, are you willing to tell God, I'm sorry, Lord, that I haven't been going to church regularly, I haven't studied your word, I'll put you first, and, and I'll love you and do what you say? She said, well, I can do that. I said, tell him. So she looked, she said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've not went to church. I know I should have. And But, Lord, she said, I, I will go to church. I will serve you. Reached over and laid hands on the girl and done something that was wild. Those stainless steel bolts in your arm, I command those to become flesh and bone. In the name of Jesus. I said, now, guarantee, you're healed. Raise your arm straight up. And she raised it straight up with no pain whatsoever. And she went to screaming. And the other one I turned and looked, and she's over and said, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll do anything, Lord. I'll go to church. I'll do anything. It got her attention. And I said, are you serious? And she said, I am serious. She said, I have never seen her raise her arm up like that in my life. And we live together. She said, there's something supernatural happened here today. I said, well, it can happen to you too. I said, you you really serious about telling God Lord, I'll serve you and I'll be obedient. She said, Yes, Lord. She said, Lord, I'll repent. She said, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll love you. I'll go to church. I'll do anything you tell me to do. She put my hands on her back and I said, In the name of Jesus, I command those stainless steel rods, she said, she had her back to become flesh and bone. I said, Thank you, Lord, for completely healing this woman. I said, Lord, thank you. You said, I could ask you anything and you would do it. So I said, Lord, thank you for doing it. I said, Now, young lady, He has healed you. Bend over and touch your toes. And she went right down and touched the floor and come back up screaming, there's no pain in my back. What can God do? You know, I told that in my Sunday school class after it happened when I started telling it. One of the men had been in my class, 75 years old. When I started getting to the story, he said, "No, wait a minute, Thurman. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. you got to stop. He said, I know you're fixing to tell me you commanded those rods to become blown, and they did. I said, Well, of course. He said, I knew that's what you were going to say. He said, Thurman, how do you have this kind of faith? I said, Well, I just believe God. What can God do? How big is your Jesus? He's big, isn't he? Cheryl sings that song, My Jesus Made the Universe. When your Jesus gets that big, it ain't no problem. To lay your hands on somebody. It wasn't, it wasn't no more difficult. Whenever I laid my hands on Cheryl's knee, that had been knocked off for how many years, honey? 16. 16 years. She and I got married, and right off the bat, everything she does, she kneels down, she gets up, her knee swells up real big. I said, what's wrong with your knee, woman? I said, you know, I can't have a woman like this. i got to have a woman that can go with me. Do you think? I can't have no sick woman. What am I going to do with a woman like you? She said, well... All these years, I knocked my kneecap off in the gym, riding a bike. I said, well, let me pray over that thing. And I prayed over it. And, of course, we prayed over that thing once to three times a month for about eight months. And finally, that need gives her absolutely no problem. Now she can run, jump. She can go skiing, do everything she wants to do. I mean, what kind of promises does God give us? Oh, my goodness gracious. So the priest of the home can pray for his wife. And what can you get? Everything you ask for if you're obedient. I mean, I didn't, I mean, gee whiz, I didn't want a crippled up woman that can't do nothing. You know, she may be a few years younger than me, but I didn't want a woman that every time I wanted to go somewhere or do something, she'd fall and trip her knee and got to walk around crippled all the time. I wanted one that could run with me. You know, so how do you get that done? You pray over her. You pray over her until the knee gets healed. Is that right, Sharon? I mean, two three, two years ago, you couldn't run and play, could you? But today, this girl can run and play too. But we prayed over her a few times. Just like she said, every time she came here, somebody prayed over her. And now then today, she's totally healed. That's just like Cheryl. Man, she's healed from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I mean, she can run and play, and there ain't nothing wrong with her. If you don't get your answer the first time, and I didn't get it the first time, I asked, and of course, her knee did go down. The swelling went down, but in two or three weeks, it's back up there again. She'd come crippling in there, and I said, what's wrong? She said, my knee's gone out again. I'd say, set down there, woman. And I'd put my hands on i said, you devil of hell, get out of that knee in the name of Jesus. The Lord said, I can ask for anything, and it's done. It took one to three times a month for eight months until that knee never gave her no problem. And then after that, she said, I had no problem at all. So, goes out to Colorado and goes skiing, yeah. you know, yeah. sits around over those mountains. <laughs> you know, hey, you don't do that with a bad knee. You know that? <laughs> Praise the. Lo- what can you do when you've got a priest at home that can pray over your wife? Hey, he can get anything done if he believes Jesus. If he's walking in obedience to the Word, it pays good dividends to be an obedient son of God. Now then, you know, if you're a woman and you don't have a priest at home, then you're the one that prays for yourself. Now, if you're a woman at home and you've got a husband, your husband is the priest and he's the one supposed to pray for you. He's the one supposed to pray. So girls, if you've got a husband, you need to pray for him to make sure that he's walking in obedience to God's word. So when you have a need, he can get your, his prayer answered for you. You need to pray for him regular. Because see, Cheryl learned a tremendous lesson one night when she had a tremendous fire burning in her stomach. And she woke me up two o'clock in the morning. She said, honey, you've got to pray for me. She said, I can't sleep. I've got this terrible burning in my stomach. I said, well, how long you had it? She said, about two days. I said, two days? Why haven't you asked me before now? She said, well, good grief. I've been trying to pray. I get it done myself. I said, woman, you're in total rebellion against God. She said, what do you mean? I said, he told you to submit to me in everything. I said, before you married me, you could pray for yourself. But now you married me, now you've got to come through me to get to God. He told you to submit yourself To your husband in everything. Not some things, everything. She said, I didn't know that. I said, well, that's what's wrong with us. We don't know these things. I said, repent. She said, Lord, here we are laying on the bed, 2 o'clock in the morning. She's in excruciating pain. She said, Lord, I'm sorry I repent. I didn't know I was supposed to come through my husband. I knew I was supposed to submit to him, but I didn't realize it was in everything. But she said, Lord, I repent. I reached over and she said, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I reached over and laid my hand on her stomach and said, you devil of hell be gone in Jesus' name. And I mean she was instantly healed. Just like that. Thank you. Now then, the priest of the home is supposed to be the one that gets it done in the house. But he tells that priest to love that woman too. You know how he tells that man to love that woman? Like Christ loved the church. And any man that loves his woman like that, that woman ain't going to have no problem submitting to her husband, right? Absolutely. If you love that woman like Christ loved the church and was willing to give his life for her, when you love her like that, there ain't going to be no woman that won't have no problem submitting to her husband. Is that true? it. I ain't never seen a woman wouldn't submit to her husband if he loved her like that. If he treats her like a lady, she won't have a problem. But, you know, I'm telling you what, after that, after Cheryl was instantly healed that night, I mean, anytime anything happens to her, she's hunting me down. <laughs> honey. I got this need. You need to pray for me. Well, it's good to have a priest that can pray for you, right? Amen. Praise God. But see, when we do it God's way, now you take Sharon here, she don't have a priest. So she can pray for herself, you know, or she can call her pastor if she, something comes up she can't get done. And she's done that a lot of times. She comes here and says, you got to pray for me. If she can't get it done, she comes here and her pastor prays and he's her head above that because she don't have a husband. But your pastor is your head if you're a woman yes. and you don't have a husband and you don't have the power to get it done. Yes. You go to your pastor and he's supposed to be walking holy and he ought to be able to get it done. Amen. When he prays for you, it should happen. Amen. If it don't, you need to check out his life too. If you've got your sins repented of. Because God's the one who made these promises. Yes. And he can't lie, can he? No. No. He absolutely can't. So then he says in and we see that that Jesus said in Matthew 8:16 and 17, when he said when evening was come, he kicked these devils out of these people and he healed all of the sick. And verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses, does he plan for us, the church, to be sick? No, he does not. But he doesn't plan for us to sin either, does he? So when we sin, we open the door and these demons come in. When we repent, we drive them away. But then after we get healed, just like Jesus told the man that he healed, the the man that had been handicapped for 38 years that couldn't even walk, he said, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to heal you. But when he healed him, he said, now go and leave your life of sin lest something worse comes upon you. There's a message there. How many people do you know that get healed and then go right back to living where they was? That's dangerous. I mean, that's dangerous. See, but see, just like this lovely lady here said a while ago, she's a nurse, works in a hospital. She said, we treat the symptoms, but not the reason people are sick. I mean, people come in and we try to get them healed up where they can go home. But nobody ever tells them the reason they're sick and afflicted is because of sin. So people don't understand. They go right back to their pig pens and it's not long. They're usually back in there again. Whereas if God made us a set of statements to the whole world, if we will be obedient and do what he says, he'll take all sickness and disease away from us and we will have none. All it takes is walking in love. What is the new commandment for the church? Walking in love. love. Only one, in it, Sharon? Love everybody. Love God first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, in this commandment that you love one another like I have loved you, he said, then all men shall know that you're my disciples. Because how will people know that you're his disciples? When you walk in that God kind of love, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And when you pray for people, what happens now, Sharon, when you pray for people? Don't you get to see some awesome miracles? Yes. I mean, Cheryl. The same way. She prays for people and awesome things happen. But all you got to do is walk in love. Do what God says. And when you pray, expect these mighty things to happen. Expect them. I mean, I was out at uh, her daughter's restaurant here a while back. I had a little bite to eat out there one night. And one of the uh, men, actually the her daughter and a woman, another woman, owned it together. And the other woman's husband, he's been a champion champion. Uh, what do you call him? Racquetball. racquetball player. And he's played it so much his rotor cuffs has gotten bad, and he's got to where he couldn't do anything. So Cheryl said, honey, you need to pray for him. So I got him over. I said, what's wrong? He told me. I said, you know, Jesus wants to heal you. He'll use my faith to heal you. Well, okay, Thurman, if you want to pray for me, go ahead. I did. The other night I was out there, and he said, wow, thank you for that prayer. He said, I've been playing uh, racquetball. And he said, man, I thought I'd never get to play again. But said, I'm just as good as I ever was. He said, thank you for the prayer. I said, no, 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 no. Don't thank me. I said, the king's the one done it. Jesus is the one healed you. Isn't it amazing? You can pray for people and people get healed and they really don't even know where it comes from. Isn't that amazing? See, that's where we're supposed to be walking. People are supposed to know that we're his disciples because first time somebody says something to him, he said, you know, Thurman got to walk with God because he prayed a prayer of faith for me one night and I couldn't use my arm and now I, I can work and it's got to be God that did that. He prayed in the name of Jesus. He ain't a doctor. He couldn't do nothing. He didn't even touch me he hardly. just reached over and laid his hands on me and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. Is that simple? Is that awesome what God will allow us to do if we we'll walk holy before Him? In First Peter two twenty four. He says, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. Let me show you in 1 Peter 2, let me show you why that verse don't work for lots of people. First Peter 2. If you've got your Bibles there, open them to First Peter 2 and start with verse 21. And I'm going to show you the requirements of how to walk in divine health. In First Peter 2.21, it says, For even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Okay, and then he's going to tell us what those steps are. Next verse. Who did no sin. That's your example. So, what are you supposed to do? No sin. sin. Not just a little? No, none. none. If you want to walk in divine health, no sin. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. With no guile in your mouth... You know what most of us are going to have to do? Anybody know what this two-inch wide duct tape is? Yes, that's I need to put about three, at least three layers of that around my head from about right here to right here. Mm-hmm. About three times around. Then no guy will come out of my mouth. Right, brother? Yeah. As long as I got that tape on there. It's like one of the girls at the ministry center the other day told me, Said, "Mr. Shrivner, I know you tell us we can't waver when we pray. So she said, when people call in and I pray the prayer of faith for them, I immediately put a stop on my mouth. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to hang up that phone and say, Oh God, I sure hope you heard that prayer. She said, I know there's no sin, no faith in that when I do that. So she said, I have to put a stop on my, I pray the prayer of faith for them and guarantee them it's done because Jesus said it. And guess what? Because of the covering of the ministry that God has given us, He answers those prayers of those little people. We see Him do great and mighty things out there. Great and mighty things. In fact, one of the men, one man, man called in one night, one afternoon, one little secretary there. She had very little faith, and she hadn't been working for us long at the time. And he called in. She said, "He said my mother-in-law sick, bad sick. I got to have Thurman." She said, "Well, sir, I'm sorry, he's out, and it's not where you can reach him." He said, "Then I have got to have somebody else." He said, "Sir, I'm sorry, everybody's out but me." He said, you know, the Word of God said, if two of us can agree, then you've got to pray with She said, I don't have no faith. He said, you pray with me. Okay, she said. He, they prayed their prayer of faith and agreed in prayer. And, oh, she was in agony. She said, Mr. Gibner, I wish you'd have been here to pray with him. His mother-in-law was sick. He called back in two hours. She is totally healed. I've lit her fire. That was a little Taylor. Oh, it lit her fire. She said, God heard my prayer. I said, yes, he heard your prayer, Taylor. I mean, it lit that little girl's fire. Why do you think we wasn't available? God wanted to light her fire. He had a divine appointment for that little girl that day. And she prayed the prayer of faith. And he so quickly healed that woman. Man, I mean, it lit her fire. When you see God do those kind of things, but have no guile. No guile in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Can you meet all that criteria? It ain't easy, is it? Mm -mm. When they give you a hard time, it's hard not to come back at them, isn't it? Especially when somebody really threatens you. It's hard to just say, I love you anyway. But that's what God told us to do. But it's not easy. Then he says, if we do that, then verse 24 will work. Where he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Now, if you have died to sin, how can you sin anymore? It's impossible, isn't it? As long as you stay dead. But when you resurrect this beast, and bring that, this beast we live in, when you resurrect it back to life and it sins, then you're in trouble. But if you'll leave it dead and you'll let Christ live through you, then you can live in total divine health and you won't ever have to be sick again. Well, I don't know about you, but it's 515. You know, I don't know how from 1 to 515 goes by this quick. But for you, it may have been a drudgery day. But for me, five, four and a half hours has just gone by like a rocket ship. That's the way it always is when I get in the Word. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for the Word. I thank you for these wonderful promises. I thank you, Lord, that people in here today are going to repent of their sins, and they're going to come up, and you're going to to heal them and restore them. And those that don't have anything physically wrong with them, they're going to go away from here a better person. They're going to walk holy before you. They're going to start praying prayers of faith for people. And you're going to do great and mighty things through them just like you did for this young man that came up and told about the little child that had the brain stem, how he prayed. Lord, I ask you to use everybody in this place in a mighty way like that to pray prayers of faith, realizing it's you that's doing it, not us. So, Lord, we should, have, we should be able to have faith for big things as well as little things because it's you that's doing it. It's not us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that's doing these things. So, let us die and you live so you can do great and mighty things. And Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, Lord, as people come forth, that you will heal every one of them as they repent of their sins and stand on your word. And we give you all the praise and the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, like I say, anybody didn't get your media, whatever you want back there, it's back there. You can take whatever you want to. If you came and need to be prayed for, If you'll come up here, we will pray the prayer of faith for you and we will expect the Lord to do a great and mighty thing. Oh yeah, in church tomorrow two two p.m. till four p.m. praise the Lord. And if you just have questions.